0: are listening to the best damn Tennessee Titans podcast out there, Two-Tone Uncensored. Of course, I'm your host, Ryan Morland. We have a very big show today, but before we get into it, I want to introduce my guest host for this episode, a good friend of mine, writer for the AOSN.com All Out Sports Network and creator of Titan Town on Facebook, Cody And How are you doing, Cody?
1: Hey, thanks for having me. We had a lot of fun last time I was here, and I'm expecting a lot more this time.
0: Oh, yeah, it's always fun to do a show right after a big win, man. I mean, the energy level comes up. It's it's so exciting. Those tough losses, it can be hard to jump on here. But, man, when you have a big win, especially like this, it's – I mean, it's crazy. It's so much fun to come back on.
1: Yeah, that's very, very true. It's a lot more fun talking about a win than it is a loss over the season. It's been about like a roller coaster ride. But we're in the tournament now. So far, so good.
0: Heck, yeah. I mean, hell, yeah. So far, so good. Uh, let's jump into this, uh, Cody. Kansas City, we end up beating them 22-21 to and an 18-point comeback. That's tied for the fifth-best playoff comeback in NFL history, and it's tied for the best playoff comeback when a uh, road team is the one coming back. Um, at one point, my favorite thing about this is everybody knows ESPN's win probability. It shows you the percentage chance that a team has to win or lose a football game. At one point in this game, the Titans had a 2.5% chance to win the game. And then, of course, the great comeback, uh, and we end up winning this game. I mean, it was amazing.
1: Yeah, that's just how this team is. It tells you a lot about them on a national level, too. It tells you that you can't never sleep on this team. They're never going to quit. And now, basically, the rest of the world knows it. A lot of people who are fans of other teams, they didn't know that about us, but now they do.
0: Absolutely, they do. I mean, we had a, a fantastic second half in this game to come back, and it, it really did put us out there. Now, I will say, and we'll talk about this in the show. I don't think we're getting the credit we deserve. You know, I really hate seeing the you know Kansas City Blue an eighteen point lead, which is I mean, it's there's truth to that, but I really feel like Tennessee came back at more than than Kansas City blew this lead. It was great plays by Marcus Mariota. It was. Fantastic running by Derrick Henry. It was a defense pitching a shutout. That is what made this game. It wasn't, you know, the play calling for Kansas City could have been better. They could have used a lot more Kareem Hunt in the second half. But Tennessee came back, in my opinion, more than Kansas City blew this lead.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. The second half, Tennessee played the game that they want to play. The trick is is trying to figure out how to get them to play that way through an entire football game which they struggled with all season and Mike Malarkey says in his press conference interview after the after the game that um that's something that they're aware of and they're going to try to fix it but um that's that's just how they are they played their their style of game at the very in the second half of that football game and um it was enough to come back and win of course Travis Kelsey going out helped us quite a bit because there are some plays that that backup tight end didn't make that he probably would have but um overall tennessee played their style of football that they wanted to play and it was too much for the chiefs to handle in the second half and as far as the espn guys go i've seen several of them say that the titans are the worst team in the playoffs and it's not that tennessee won the game it's that uh kansas city lost the game but the way i remember it and a lot of them bring up the points that the card they lost to the cardinals they lost to the 49ers is the reason that they're the worst team in the playoffs. But if you look at it, Jacksonville also lost to the Cardinals. They also lost to the 49ers, and we beat Jacksonville twice.
0: Exactly. And then my favorite, uh, you know, I've been on Twitter interacting with everybody, and I can't remember the guy's name. Um, So I'm sorry that I'm not going to give you the shout-out because I wanted to, but I couldn't find the tweet right before we were getting on the show. You know, someone put out, like, oh, well, the Titans are the worst team in the playoffs. And the guy put – he's like, well – I know one team that we're better than, you know, right after we win this game against Kansas City. I was like, there you go. And then, and then you bring up a great point. We swept the Jacksonville, so it's hard to say that they are better than us. I, I can see the people's point of view, why they think. I mean, it's. I don't think it's exactly fair for the Tennessee Titans, but you have to be able to see what they're thinking, what they're seeing. Um. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you bring up a great point. We beat Kansas City, so you know it's any given Sunday, and you can make the argument that a, a you know a worse team can beat a better team. But when you win, you win. We're the better team. We beat Jacksonville twice this season. We're the better team. So you know, in, in that situation, you know, I think we're at least you know the third best, and and I think that we were a better team than Buffalo going in as well. But I mean. But that's the thing is their opinion doesn't matter. And that's what I wanted to get across to all the fans out there because we see like Charles Woodson talking about they're the worst team and all these people coming out, we're the worst team. Their opinion doesn't matter. The only thing that matters, and I believe Mike Mike Malarkey said this as well, is the guys on the field. That's the only thing that matters. We keep winning football games. It does not matter anybody's opinion about us. If we keep winning football games, then we're going to keep going on further into the playoffs and head towards the Super Bowl.
1: Yes, that's very true. We're we're I guess the best word you could say is resilient. We just uh, find a way to win. We did that a lot of times over the course of the season. We had a lot of close the games that could have went either way. That we found a way to win. We did the same thing against the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, yes, we're not as consistent as a lot of people would like us to be. As I guess as we would like to be, but we just find a way to win, and that's the bottom line. That's really all that matters, especially at this
0: point. No, absolutely. Um, some major points I wanted to talk about, though. Mariota's performance first. It has to be the first one we talk about because, I mean, he did everything. He did everything in this game. He threw a pass to himself, and I know this is the most talked about thing probably in all the playoffs so far, but it's unbelievable to play, just the, the awareness because, you know, it was there was a lot of luck involved in that play that the ball came back right to him, and he was basically pushed right into that ball but the awareness to catch that ball that you do not expect. In, in 100 chances, it's never going to come right back at you. Uh, so you don't expect it to be there. He catches it. Then the awareness to dive, immediately dive for the end zone, hit the pylon, and score a touchdown. I mean, it, it just shows such a heads-up play. Marcus Mariota always on his toes. I mean, it's the most memorable play in Tennessee football history, I mean, at least for a good while. I mean, that was, it was just an unbelievably awesome play, maybe since the Music City Miracle. I mean, it, that's how awesome that play was.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. It just tells you that Marcus Mariota, our quarterback, is going to do everything in his power to win a football game. Plays like he made that you're talking about, the, catch, the touchdown pass catch to himself, um, the lead block for Henry, what he did in Jacksonville the week before, getting the first down to go ahead and put that game away. And I've seen people compare him. I believe it was Cole, Colin Coher, but I can't remember for sure, but he compared him to Colin Kaepernick, talking about how Mariota's the type of quarterback who's going to do whatever it takes to win, and then you got Cam Newton on the other hand, who's a good quarterback, don't get me wrong, but he's not willing to risk his body for a football game, making point of that fumble that he wouldn't dive on, but Mariota's different because Mariota's just going to do whatever it takes to win. And Of course, we have seen him get hurt in the past, but this is win or go home, so this is time to put all your cards on the table and do whatever it takes to get yourself a win in the playoffs, and Mariota will do that.
0: Absolutely. You talk about that block and just basically stealing Barry Church's soul in that week 17 game with that stiff arm was nasty. And then getting up in his face a little bit and he's like and he even said his press conference he's like I didn't say anything to him. I just wanted him to know I was there. And I was like, "Oh, that is such a badass statement to make." And you know, for a guy that's quiet and is a is a quiet leader on this team, you know, to see some of the personality come out in Marcus in these last few weeks has been awesome, but you t- start talking about comparisons, and we've heard a lot of them. I've heard a lot of people say that he was channeling his inner, uh, uh, his inner Steve McNair, which I think is such a great you know, storyline. I think it's, it fits perfect. Steve McNair was that guy as well. you know, uh, uh, Very resilient, very tough, would do everything to win a football game. But I think one of my favorites was brought up uh, by a good friend of mine. And he's like, it feels like Russell Westbrook in basketball. And this was his point, is like he's a guy that in the beginning of his career was trying too hard and trying to do too much. And I think you could apply that to to Mariota. There was times where Mariota would fumble or put himself in bad positions, get hurt because he was trying to do too much. He's like, but it becomes very apparent that he's trying to do everything. To get a win, you know, and if you look at Westbrook, the way he, what he did last year, averaging a triple double, it's obvious that he will do whatever it takes to get a win. He'll, he'll try and fight his heart out. Marcus is that guy. Marcus, at some points in early in his career, got himself in trouble for trying to do too much. But as he gets better, as he matures, you're starting to see a guy that can do everything to, to get his team a win. And so I really like that, you know, that matchup, that analogy, Uh, of comparing, you know, two guys in two different, very different sports, but the way that they um, have competed and the way they continue to compete. I mean, it's a fact. Most guys out there are, you know, we don't want to think of of this as fans, but they're punching, you know, they're punching their punch card. They're they're clocking in, clocking out, earning that paycheck. But Marcus is out there to win football games. And, you know, it's something that I don't think there's a ton of guys that would risk their body. I mean, he gave up, like what was it, like 30 pounds on the guy that he blocked? <laughs> I mean, and still yeah, drove him back. Yeah, I think it was what, like 30 four, on the dot. Right, and drove him back four or five yards? I mean, come on.
1: He wasn't expecting that out of a quarterback. I don't know of any other quarterback in the league that would do that.
0: Well, For sure, anyway. Yeah, everybody brings up that you know from a couple of years ago when Tom Brady gets in front of the runner and he just he just kind of like awkwardly stays in front of the blocker for a little bit without ever making contact with him. And you see, I mean, Marcus immediately tucked his shoulder down and drove it into that guy's chest, pushed him back, opened up a big hole. Because really, our offensive line did a good job blocking on that play. Our wide receivers did a good job blocking downfield. That was the only guy uh, that could have made a play uh, and when he came up, and and Marcus took him immediately out of it, and it was such a great exclamation point on what had already been a, a great performance by Mariota.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. T- that Kansas City team at that point in the game, they were stacking the box. They probably—I don't—I haven't went back and looked, but I'm guessing there was either nine or ten guys in the box on that play. So there wasn't no way the line and the receivers could block everybody. Somebody was going to come free, and Mariota just decided he was going to take that guy out himself.
0: Absolutely, and and that sets us up perfectly to talk about the next guy we need to talk about, and that's Derrick Henry. You know, coming in off of a poor performance last week against Jacksonville, and which he said, you know, I need to play better, I need to run harder, I need, you know, all of these things need to come together. I need to have a better performance, and he comes out 156 rushing yards, which is second all time for our franchise, only behind Eddie George's 162-yard performance. So he's only a handful of yards away, 191 all-purpose yards in this game because he did add 35 through the air, and one touchdown. Absolutely brilliant performance by him. And, you know, we bring up that great block, but Derrick Henry finding the hole, accelerating through it, getting the first down. He had a runs of 22 yards and 10 yards on that final drive to seal the game. And that, that is so huge because if Kansas City got the ball back and they dropped down the field, all they needed was a field goal and they would have won this football game. So Derrick Henry's effort at the end of that game especially sealed that game for us. And, and, you know, his effort throughout the entire game was the only reason that we had a chance to come back and win this game. But Kansas City only needed a field goal, and that is a good offense. So if they could have just drove down to get themselves in field goal range – Game would have been over, and we would have been talking about how Tennessee came close. But Derrick Henry's performance throughout the game especially, you have to talk about his whole performance, but at that end of the game to seal it was just fantastic.
1: Oh, yeah, and it was a great heads-up play by him as well because there was a split moment to where it looked like he was thinking about just taking what he could get and getting out of bounds, but he was smart smart enough to stay in bounds. And you brought up Eddie George earlier. I've seen a lot of comparisons to Derrick Henry. To Eddie George, just like Mariota to Steve McNair, and if you think about it, it does make a lot of sense. You got two really big backs who can uh, grind out the extra yards after contact, but also who are very dangerous in space. And if you get Henry in space, there's a good chance that he's going to take it to the house. He's got that decisive speed at 200, almost 250 pounds. That the speed he got is it, it really surprises the other team until they actually play against it. They see it on tape, but Until they're actually there, they don't know exactly what it's going to be like until they do play it. And when they do, a lot of times it takes an adjustment period for them to get ready for them.
0: I love love the Derrick Henry-Eddie George comparison because it is. They're two massive guys. And Eddie looks for contact, I think, a little bit more uh, than Derrick does. But they were both dangerous in the open field. They were both a lot more agile than you think they would be at their size. Uh, and and it really shows when Derrick Henry runs the football. It's a great analogy um, between the two of them. But, yeah, I mean, he had a, a stellar performance in this game. You, like you said, heads up, not only to not step out, bounds, out of bounds there and get the extra yards, but to stay in bounds and let the clock work, you know, on that final drive was uh, pretty spectacular. And, you know, he, he had a really, really dominant performance in this game. And, you know, they have the, you know, if you ball, you get the call. You got the call from Dion. And we saw, in that call, you see a little bit of a Derek Henry we haven't seen before. Because he is kind of like, he's not as quiet as Marcus, but he's not a loud guy. But you see him hooting and hollering and jumping up and down. And, and he's just excited, he's ecstatic, he's a kid. That's what he is. He's a kid that just won the big game. And, and you know, everybody who's played any sport, you know that feeling. Uh, you win that game and you come out and then just just pure joy. And you know, triumph, and, and that's what he was. And, and we got to see that a little bit a little bit more of his personality, a little bit more of that shine through, which was awesome. And he, I mean, he deserved it, he deserved to feel that way. He had an outstanding performance on one of the biggest stages. You know, you have to feel great about that.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, and I enjoy seeing more of these guys' personalities. Like with Mariota, we never seen his personality until they lost to the Cardinals. and, the reporter asked him, you know, what's different, and he said, I'm pissed off. And we're starting to see more and more of his personality as well. And then Derrick Henry, too. And this could be a glimpse into the future because this is Derrick Henry's perfect opportunity come out and perform well. And he could certainly take a hold of that starting job going forward because we didn't draft him in the second round just to be a rotational piece or a breather back. Going into the future, we was looking into the future to have him to be our feature back in a power smash-mouth scheme.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right. And, you know, the coaches have said that even if DeMarco Murray is is a go this week and Derrick Henry will start, and I think it's the right move at this point, point. I don't think anybody would disagree with you. I don't even think that as unselfish and as smart as DeMarco Murray is, he would not disagree with you, uh, that Derrick Henry deserved the start this week. I I mean, I, I hope that we get a healthy DeMarco Murray because of what he's able to do in pass blocking and on passing downs. Um, Because Derrick Henry is a good – he's a solid pass catcher, and he's great in open field like we talked about. But DeMarco Murray is clearly the better pass catching running back between the two, and he's a better pass blocker. Although I looked up the stats, and Derrick Henry is not nearly as bad as some people lead you on to believe. But there was the one play on this uh, in this game where – uh, Mariota got lit up in the first half And Derrick Henry completely missed that block He didn't see the guy coming And he just didn't have a chance to get back in time Before uh, You know uh, Before Mariota was lit up So There is like, something to that I would like to be able to see You know In long turn down situations Bring him in But I also don't want to rush him back And we'll talk about that more later But Absolutely Derrick Henry Outstanding performance The defense You know it, The Weren't playing that well to start this game. Gave up some big plays to Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey. Uh, but then a second-half shutout, completely shutting them out in the second half. We score 19 unanswered to come back and win this game. You, if Marcus Mariota played as well as he did, if Derrick Henry played as well as he did, and our defense doesn't step up, we lose this football game. You know, all they needed was a, an extra field goal in the, somewhere in the second half, and it would have been too much for us to come back. Or maybe at least it would have been a lot harder to come back than it was. And, and you know, it's, it, this team uh, and the whole defensive unit as a whole really stepped up in the second half. They were dominant in the second half. I mean, just completely dominant's the only way to put it. Really shut down what has been a very good offense. You're talking about Alex Smith, who has some of the best numbers in pro football right now. And Travis Kelsey did go out, but Tariq Hill is a monster. I mean, he's a freak of an athlete and puts up big numbers all of the time. And you start to see, like, all of these pieces just not working. The the defense as a whole really stepped up. The pass rush was very, very prevalent in the second half of this game. You know, they didn't get a a ton of sacks, but they were in the backfield a lot. They made Alex Smith very uncomfortable. And it was exciting because, you know, after we scored that first touchdown, you're like, all right, now we can't have an answer. We can't have an answer here. And we don't. We get the ball back, we score, and it's like, all right, we can't have them answer here. You know, we're still too far behind. We can't have them answer. And they don't. And we score again, and it's just, I mean, they really stepped up. A very, very good performance all around. And and Cyprian, who really struggled covering Kelsey, and then Travis Kelsey comes out of the game, he really had a good second half. So I I definitely wanted to mention him because he had a – very good second half as soon as kelsey was out of the game cyprian played a very good ball game
1: yeah man the defense was great i I was very impressed with the defense and even david king who we got from the kansas city chiefs earlier this season like really early this season he played a big role in this game and kind of makes you wonder if they miss him a little bit there in kansas city i guess (laughs) but uh, the defense played good and a lot of our young players played good as well so Uh, It was really good to see. It was a really good performance from them. And I think it's the best performance we've seen from them in a very, very long time and definitely all of this year. We haven't seen a performance this year as good as what it was in the second half of that football game.
0: Yeah, we've seen this defense have good football games, and we've seen them dominate against some, some teams. But their performance was, I mean, above and beyond. In that second half, this defense was ruthless. I mean, Kansas City was doing nothing with the football. They weren't even, like, getting good field position. They weren't even winning field position. Like, we were dominant in the second half of this game. Um, you know, from start to finish, just completely dominant. It was an incredible performance all around. You mentioned Dave King, who had a massive, massive uh, performance for us, really helped us out in this game. And, I mean, everybody everybody was was having a really good football game, a you know, made a big difference in this game. Adoree Jackson in the second half was definitely a different guy than what we saw in the first half of this game while well, playing against Hill. he I mean, he really stepped up. It was, it was just an exciting performance by everybody. Really, really stepped up, and they should be proud of themselves on the defense.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. We was getting consistent pressure in that second half. The run game wasn't going nowhere. I mean, they got to some third and shorts. They got into quite a few third and shorts, but – Uh, we just wasn't having it. We wasn't letting them go anywhere. Uh, It just kind of makes you wonder what they said in the locker room over halftime. I know a little bit of what they said, talk about how they believed that they could still win this game and they were the only ones and let's go win it. But I want to know, I'd like to know exactly what they said to really recharge the batteries, I guess, to get you pumped up like that because it was just a completely, totally different Tennessee team that marched out there to start the third quarter.
0: Absolutely, 100% right, and uh, the last thing I want to talk about is the officiating in this game, because it has been talked about a lot, and here's my theory on it, it was a poorly officiated game, that's the only way that you can look at this, it was not a good performance by this officiating crew, the officiating was bad, but it was unbiased, It it, it wasn't like Kansas City was getting all the calls, did Travis Kelsey fumble when he got hit by Cyprian and got hurt? He absolutely did, that was clearly a fumble. Did Marcus Mariota fumble when he got hit in the pocket late in that game? Yeah, it, that definitely should have been called. I mean, I'm glad that it wasn't. You know, we definitely benefited from it. But, yeah, it was a fumble. And there was a lot of calls in this game that were really bad. And they went both ways. So, I, you know, I, I get that some Kansas City fans can be pretty upset about it. But also, you know, it, it could have went a different way for both sides of the football. And, you know, so I really don't think anybody got a huge leg up. There was a play... Um, again, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I believe it was the first half where I was like, wow, that was a c- clear holding, defensive holding call on Eric Decker. And it, it went, went completely uncalled. But the guy had him around the waist. I mean, it was clear as day. But, so I, I think it was a very poorly officiated game. And obviously, you know, the, the head referee retired right after this game. The very next morning, he retired. So it goes to show you how bad he thought his performance was, but... I uh, I don't think it, it gave anybody an advantage one way or the other.
1: No, I completely agree with you, one hundred percent. But that's kind of been the trend all season long, and the league really needs to take a hard look at that over the off season and maybe sim- simplify some rules or or um, or add some people in to make it make it easier on the officials. But something needs to be be done. But it's not going to be done until over the off season. But that's just been the common trend going all the way back a couple of bad calls we had that I'm still salty about was Matt Castle's 15-yard fumble against the Dolphins.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a bad one. Yeah, 100%. And it has been it has been very bad. And I I've been thinking there's a couple things that I wanted to bring up and see your opinion. The first one is in the playoffs they they use mm-hmm. the best officials from everywhere. So it's there's not the same teams together. It's the best officials, like ours, all-star groups of officials, but I think they really should just pick the best officiating crews and keep those teams together. Because it, it seems like every playoffs, we have this issue where it takes these refs a couple games to figure out exactly how to referee a game with these other people. Exactly, you know, how these other people are going to mesh together. And you know, I have uh, you know a little bit, not a lot, but some refereeing experience and officiating experience at the high school level out here in Ohio, and it makes a huge difference. The first game I ever officiated, there was a guy that was sick and couldn't make it. I was a plug-in, and getting used to everybody and getting the right call and making sure that, you know, I'm where I'm supposed to be. My eyes are where they're supposed to be when a play gets a little different, you know, when you get a play that's not normal. I mean, it makes a huge difference to know that, this guy's going to be looking here, so I don't need to. I should be looking downfield, or I should be looking here. It makes a big difference. It's a team just as much as a football team is, and keeping those teams together, I think, makes much better called football games. We had officiating problems in almost every single wild card game.
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. It's it's chemistry. It's very important when you're working as a team in anything you do. It doesn't matter if it's sports or 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 work or just whatever chemistry is always very important and uh the guys who do that throughout the season they have the chemistry that these guys uh don't have so i feel like that what you're saying would be a better 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 solution than what we got now but um maybe look at you know how they got pit that guy in new york who looks at the replays on the catch rule and stuff maybe have a guy in new york watching one guy watching every game with a rule book sitting right beside him or or uh, somebody to be in the ear of the official, something something like that possibly would maybe work out in the future as well.
0: Yeah, the, the other thing, and you touched on it a little bit uh, on your previous statement, was getting more guys out there. You know, I know the Big Twelve runs with an extra uh, extra guys in their crew because they want to get the ball fast, uh, set fast for these offenses, because a lot of these offenses depend on hurry up schemes and and getting the ball snapped fast not getting the defense a chance to uh you know get new guys out there you know that's part of their systems a lot in the Big 12 so they have extra guys in the officiating crew i don't think it's a bad idea to get uh you know a couple extra pair of eyes out there maybe add in one or two positions to these referee teams so you can get a clearer picture of what's going on because Here's the thing, it's the golden rule of officiating, and any referee or official at any sport will tell you this. If you don't see it, you don't call it. And there's going to be times where, you know, something can happen on a play you're just not going to see. And you can't call something that you don't see just because, you know, you, know, you know, one of the players comes up and be like, oh, this guy's grabbing me or this guy's holding me or whatever. If I don't see it, I can't call it. From then on, I can look for it. And we see that happen in games, you know, it's – Delaney Walker's great at that, getting the ref's attention, hey, this is happening to me, watch out for it, and getting the call later in a game. We've seen it a couple times this season. We've seen it throughout his entire career. We can look for it after that as officials, but you can't call something that you don't see, and having an extra pair of eyes cannot hurt. I think they should have a little bit more rigorous training for these guys, getting them set up, but I think adding an extra guy wouldn't hurt. And keeping teams together, like I said earlier, is I mean, I, I think you know, just like you said, No matter what you do in life, with any teamwork kind of a thing, a chemistry is going to matter. And and getting guys and keeping teams together, I think, would make much more better officiated games.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And you think about it, you've heard them say before that if, uh, if a fumble or something was to happen, let the play go on, don't blow it dead. We can go back and look at it afterwards. But if you blow it dead, there's really not nothing we can do and um that was the case in both those instances in the kansas city game where Mariota fumbled and kelsey fumbled was they blew it dead they didn't let it go on. they could have looked at it afterwards if they had of and that's that's what they should do they shouldn't be so trigger happy to blow the whistle on plays like that
0: no absolutely and i mean we saw like we've seen some bad officiating games in the season so i know that's not like the be-all answer like the call that we had on the Rams game where we lined up, kicked the onside kick, and got it. And it just confused that refereeing crew. And they first they said there was a penalty. Then they said there was no penalty. It was a timeout. Then they said, no, there wasn't a timeout. uh, Re-kick. Because we kicked it before the clock was open to kick. Which is not the case. We just kicked it as soon as the clock opened. We kicked that football. You know, that's... We've had some poorly officiated games throughout the season, but... I mean, it seemed like every wild card game had officiating issues. I think that's one big step is uh, is getting, getting guys, keeping those crews together. Maybe getting an extra set of eyes out there wouldn't hurt, but, you know, something's got to happen. You know, the officiating, you can put up with mistakes. You're never going to have a perfect game where it's perfectly called, every penalty's called correctly, you know, everything works out. It's just, it's too messy. It's too fast of a game. We're talking about the best athletes in the world moving at 100% speed. It, there's going to be mistakes, and you have to expect that. But we have seen some glaring, glaring issues uh, this um, wildcard weekend and throughout the season. Those can't happen. You know, those have to be to a, a minimum when you have glaring issues like that. So, you know, you're never gonna have a perfect game, but we can get close to perfect. It's not impossible to get close to perfect at your job at this officiating. I, I, I hope that they start paying officials a little bit more and getting guys that all they do is officiate. Because a lot of these guys are attorneys. You know, they have real jobs. They're attorneys. They're engineers. I mean, there's a lot. I bring up attorneys because that is like 90% of them are lawyers of some sort. So maybe get guys, that pay them a little bit more, and get guys that all they do is officiate pro football games and they can make a living off of that and that way that all that they have focused on every single week is getting better at this one thing and i think you would have a lot better officiating as well
1: yeah i expect at the league owners meeting over the offseason the uh the officiating and the catch rule those are going to be the two hottest topics at that meeting over the offseason
0: absolutely cuz you need a like a degree in advanced physics to understand the catch rule at this point. I mean there's there's a lot of them that you're like, "Wait, if this is a catch, how is that not a catch?" You know, there's a lot of comparisons and everybody from every team can come up with examples from their team that you're like, "Well, look, they called this a catch and it's clearly not and they called this not a catch and it clearly is, you know, or this is the exact same play and they're calling one a catch and one not a catch." So, they definitely need to figure that out. But great comeback and amazing performance by this titans team and they end up getting the win and they'll move on so let's move on in the show uh we're gonna do a finish the sentence segment anybody who's watched any kind of sports uh television or on the radio has, has heard this segment before i'm gonna start a sentence cody and then i'm gonna have you finish it for me and i'll give you my take on it as well so let's start with the first one here mike malarkey Will be the head coach of the Tennessee Titans next year, unless
1: at this point something absolutely very drastic would have to have would have to happen. Maybe he something happens between him and John Robinson, and it turns out into a knockout throwdown thing. Maybe something happens between him and Amy Adams Strong. I don't know, but unless something really drastic happens, uh, Mike Mularkey is going to be our coach next year. After that. Uh, who knows, because that's when his contract does expire. But for 2018, Mike Malarkey is the coach.
0: I'm going to put it – I have a different scenario, but mine is if he decides that he doesn't want to work with the new assistant coaches that he's going to get. Because the owner, you know, Amy Adam strunk and general manager John Robinson, they're going to bring in new guys. Like, Don't expect Terry Rubisky to be back next year. I think – You're going to see a lot of assistant coaches lose their job in the offseason and kind of clean house and bring in new faces. If And we've seen it before with many coaches, many of coaches have said, you know, if you get rid of this guy, then I'm going to have to step down from my spot. If that were to happen, if he's like, no, if I don't have Terry Rubisky or if I don't have this guy or that guy, then I don't want to coach, that's the only way. If he decides he doesn't want to work with the new assistant coaches – then we'll have a new head coach. That's the only way I see this, you know, realistically, him not being the head coach next year. Uh, let's move on to no, the next Mike, one. Mike oh, Munchak ahead, is go
1: a good example of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Munchak was a great example of that. and We've seen it all over, um, you know, many different teams that, you know, that's happened a lot in NFL history. Uh, the next one. The comeback win over the Kansas City Chiefs was the best Titans moment since.
1: I don't want to throw it up there with the Music City Miracle, so I'm going to throw it back to last year when we played the Kansas City Chiefs. That's just a very memorable game for me. I can remember so much from that game without having to look things up. I remember uh, LaShawn Sims getting that interception in the end zone to save the game. I remember Ryan Suckup missing his first field goal but getting another chance uh, because Andy Reid called a timeout, and he hit the field goal to get us get us the win. I think it was 19-17. to but I do remember it was a 54-yard field goal. I remember thinking that they were trying to kill me in that game. I thought I was going to have a heart attack like five or six times throughout that game.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, you're 100% right on everything you just said. It was 19-17. It, it was a 54-yard like a field goal, and it was an amazing, amazing feeling. But I have to go back a little bit further because this game to me meant more to that. So I'm going to go back to the last time we got a playoff win, 2002-2003 season, Titans win over the Ravens in the wild card. Eddie George in that game dislocates his shoulder, comes back into the game, has a spectacular performance, and we end up beating the Ravens 20 to 17. That's probably the last time I was this excited after a win. I mean, it was that game last year. I won't lie, was great. And we've had some great games since that that Ravens matchup in 03, but that one is the only one to me that matches up to this level. Uh, and I asked this question on Twitter and got some great responses. And You know, I had some people bring up that Kansas City game, brought up the the Ravens game in 03, um, you know, a couple other games that I was just like, all right, yeah, that's a good point. That's a, That was a great win. Um, but to me, that's got to be it. Uh, but next one here, Marcus Mariota let the entire league know with this game that he –
1: is willing to do whatever it takes to win we've seen him
0: block we've seen him
1: catch a touchdown we've seen him throw touchdowns we've seen him take off and run don't matter what it is he's going to do whatever he has to do to win a football game which we talked about earlier you there
0: oh sorry about that yeah we (laughs) i wrote down we'll do anything to win and that's what we saw from him. That is exactly what we saw from him. He will do anything to win. Because you look at the stats, they weren't overly impressive. It's not like he lit up the scoreboard passing the ball. It wasn't like he he was just you know having a crazy dominant performance in any one category. But he was spectacular across all categories. You know he was just, he was great across everything he did. And it's one of those games that you can see the effort that he put into it. You know his stat line's not. You know, amazing doesn't blow you away. It's it's good. It's a good stat line, but it's not crazy impressive. But his effort in this game is what really stood out. So it really does show you he'll do anything to win. And that you know that's the the perfect answer. Pretty leading, I guess, on that one on the question. But that is the perfect answer. Next one here. If there's one common theme for the Titans in 2017, it's
1: resilience as uh, we've won a lot of close games that we could have just as easily lost and uh, we just found a way to win and ended up sneaking into the playoffs of course we could have been more consistent but uh, at the end of the day I guess wins a win and that's really all that matters at the end of the day
0: I had two here I have one positive and one negative and resilience was the one I went with on the positive side you've seen us come back from bad weeks you know, we had some terrible weeks going up until week 17. One week 17 and a game that we had to win, we win in the wild card in a game that we had to win. So, yeah, resilience. Another thing, though, on the, on the negative side is we only play one half of football. You know, we haven't seen, you know, any game really this season where you can point out and be like, we really played hard and really did our best for 60 minutes. You know, it seems like we always play one half of football this last game included. It seemed like we really came out and played one half of football. You look at the big win we had against the Jaguars, I believe it was 6-3 to three at halftime. You know, the next week against Seattle, uh, I think it was 3-3 three, three or something like that, or 6-3 maybe again at halftime. It was really low scoring, really tight games, and then we come out and blow them out in the second half. You know, that's something that's, you know, we're going up against the Patriots team. You're not going to play one half and be the Patriots. You're not going to play one half and beat the Steelers. You're not going to play one half and beat any of the teams really left in the NFC, um, You know whoever makes the, the Super Bowl on their side. So that's something that I think is we definitely need to work on is coming out ready, coming out prepared. Um, and one thing that you know everybody's been really down on Mike Malarkey, but one thing that's evident from the season is he makes really good adjustments. We come out and we play w- the second half much better than the first. He doesn't game plan as well, and I've said this before on the show. I don't think he's great at making a game plan on the, on the week leading up to the game. But at halftime, when you need to correct things, it's, it's evident that Mike Mularkey is doing an excellent job at that because we come back, we play like a completely different football team.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. And the, you brought up the Steelers in that game. Normally what we did throughout the season was we didn't play the first half, but we come out and played good in the second half against the Steelers. We played good in the first half and then just come out dead in the second Well, besides from that one big play to Richard Matthews, we come out dead in the second half. And I remember thinking through that game, we finally put it together. We're finally going to play a full football game. And then uh, uh, they broke my heart.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, they broke everybody's heart in that game. And just a real quick side note, I'm really hard on cell phones. Like, I, I just I break them constantly. <laughs> I just, like, I don't know why, but I do. I bought a brand-new phone and went to that game, that Steelers game. And when Richard Matthews had that big play, I jumped up, and my phone was just sitting on my lap. So as soon as I did, it just crashed right to the ground and cracked the screen. So and that's the only time I've ever broken my phone. That was like I was like, whatever, worth it. That was worth it. <laughs> like, that moment was awesome. Um, I wish the rest of the game was like that, of course, but... but uh too bad it wasn't, but that's the the thing, is when we play teams like the Steelers and the Patriots, who are likely going to have to play both if we want to make it to a Super Bowl, you have to play a full game. We played a half, and we stayed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then we crumbled in the second half, and they dominated us. You have to play all 60 minutes to beat teams that good. You know, you can get away with sneaking off and playing a fantastic half, and beating teams like Jacksonville and Kansas City that are good but not great teams, you're not going to do that against the elite teams in this football league. You're not going to do that against teams like the Patriots and the Steelers. You're just not. So definitely something that we need to work on. And hopefully we see that change this upcoming weekend. The last one here in our finish a sentence segment, the Titans play their foot best football when...
1: When they get their running game rolling. When so much stuff works off of our running game, but teams have been stacking the box against us—eight, nine, ten men in the box—but when we got that thing going, we got uh, we got options for Mariota. We got uh, we got uh, play actions. There's just so much we can do once we open up that run game. Plus, we can control the football, control the pace of the game, control the time of the time on the clock. Uh, that's really what this team is built to do.
0: Yeah. No, I put. We play our best football when we're running well, and and Marcus is making magic happen, and the defense is stout. And we, we saw that. And whether it's Derrick Henry or DeMarco Murray, when we're running the ball well, that makes a huge difference. When Marcus is just making plays, because that's what he does. He just makes plays. And when he's doing that and the defense is stout, if all those three things come together at the same time, like we saw in the second half of this Kansas City game, we can hang with anybody. There's no team in the NFL that, can, that is going to be able to take us out of a game when we're playing like that. There might be some teams that will beat us when we're playing like that, uh, but there's not a team that's going to dominate us. There's not a team that's going to take control of the football game when all those three things are happening. And we can hang with anybody. And, you know, we'll beat, what, 80 90% of the league when we're playing like that. Um, and we'll at least be in the ballgame for everybody else um, when we play like that.
1: It just goes to show you the potential this team has because we're so young in so many places. Once these guys mature more and learn more how to play a fo- full football game, uh, we're going to be scary.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, our all, entire offense. I mean, you have very young offensive line. You have a very young quarterback, very young running back, very young wide receivers. Our secondaries, very young. I mean, you're I'm 100% correct. We have a lot of talented youth on this team. So the future, you know, looks very bright. Um, but that's the end of the finish the sentence segment. Let us know how you like that, and we'll bring it back uh, the following week. Guys, really, like. But let me know on Twitter, on Facebook, however you want to get a hold of me. Uh, let me know if you like that, something new we wanted to try. But let's go, before we get into other stuff in this show, our playoff picks for all of the games we're not going to be in, and we'll start here. Uh, in the NFC, before we move into the NFC, AFC, so NFC, we have Atlanta heading to Philadelphia, and Atlanta is actually the only road team that is favored to win this week. How do you see this one going, Cody?
1: Uh, I'm going to pick Atlanta. No Carson Wentz for the Eagles. Um, the Eagles do have a really good pass rush deal, but I'm going to go ahead and pick Atlanta. They got experience, and they're starting to turn it on us as of late.
0: I'm going with Atlanta, too, and pretty much the same reasoning. Uh, The one thing I will add is Atlanta's defense really playing fast in that last game and really had a fantastic game. It's going to be hard for a team that doesn't have a Carson Wentz, you know, to to come up with that game and be able to overcome that. It does seem like this Atlanta team is getting hot at the right time. And – you know, last week I would say that they had a pretty solid matchup against the Rams. This Philadelphia team, though, after losing Carson Wentz, they're not the team. They're not the Philadelphia team that won all of those games this year. They're not the Philadelphia team that dominated their schedule. They're not that team. With him, they are that team. Without him, they're still a very good football team, but it's, it's not the same. You know, Atlanta is excited to have this matchup rather than the other one because of the injuries. Moving on to the next NFC game, the Saints travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Vikings are favored in this game, I believe, by three and a half.
1: This is going to be the game to watch. This is the game, aside from our Titans game, that I'm the most excited for. And um, I'm going to go with the Saints. I'm taking the road team again on this one. Drew Brees has a running game we've seen, even if it isn't working when he played the Panthers. Drew Brees is still Drew Brees, and he's also finally got a defense to go along with him. Uh, I think this is going to be a fun game. Uh, I think it's going to be very close, but I'm going to go with the Saints.
0: It's hard for me because I've been talking up this Vikings team all year long. I think they have a very good defense. I think Harrison Smith is the most underrated player in all of football. I mean, the plays that he's been making this year, his play has been outstanding and he never gets talked about. Um, But I am going to go with the Saints, you know, I've been saying it all year long that this Saints team has had a great rushing attack and they haven't had to use Drew Brees. So a team finally came up in Carolina that had the ability to stop the run. And they really did. They took Alvin Kamara and uh, and Mark Ingram out of this football game for the most part. And we had they put the pressure on Drew Brees. And Drew Brees is showing that he still has it. And he had played an outstanding game in this. Their defense, that bend-but-don't-break model. How many... Goddamn field goals <laughs> that the, the Carolina Panthers have in this game. I mean, that was that was the thing is they could that the Saints' defense isn't great. They're not fantastic. They're, this isn't Jacksonville. This isn't you know um, a, a team that's really gonna shut you down like that on defense. They're a team that will bend, but they don't break. They're going to let you pick up yards. You're going to have the yardage, but you're not gonna get in the end zone. You're, they're you They're going to force you into mistakes. And that's exactly what they did in this game. Carolina could not put the ball in the end zone for the longest time in this game, and that's the reason they lost. You know, So that's, for me, I'm going to go with the Saints just because I think that Minnesota is going to do a lot to slow down this rushing attack. But this is uh, just so, such a well-rounded offense. I think it's probably the best well-rounded offense in the league because you have an elite passer. You have two running backs that can get it done, both of them on the ground and in the air. I mean, it's it's such a, such a dynamic offense. So I'm going with the Saints here. But like you said, outside of the Titans game, This is the game to watch. And I'm only saying that as a Titans fan. You know, if anybody who doesn't have a team in the playoffs, the game to watch is this game. I think it's going to be incredibly exciting, but I am going to go with the Saints as well. The last matchup, hopefully the winner goes to face Tennessee in the AFC Championship game. Uh, But it's going to be the uh, Jaguars heading to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. And uh, the Steelers are favored by seven.
1: Well, I hope the Jaguars win because I know that we can beat them. We've done done it twice, but I think the Steelers are going to win this one. Revenge game for Big Ben. He's a man on a mission for this game. Um, I don't know if Antonio Brown is going to be 100%, but they still have Le'Veon Bell, and if there's one weakness in that Jaguars defense, it's uh, runs up the inside, and um, that's how the Steelers are going to get it done.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take – the Pittsburgh Steelers in this matchup, and I know that the Jaguars won before, but, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster was not a big part of their offense at this point. There was a lot that had changed about this Steelers team since the last time these two teams have played. Um, now I'm going with the Steelers in this, but, you know, just like you, I hope that we it's Jacksonville, because if we do win this game against the Patriots, I have complete faith that we'll beat Jacksonville, get an opportunity to beat them three times in one season like we did back in 1999, when also we made the Super Bowl. So I'm hoping it's Jacksonville. I'm going to be rooting for Jacksonville to beat Pittsburgh, uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. If I'm putting my money on the line, I'm definitely putting it in favor of Pittsburgh to win this game.
1: Well, we think a lot of luck throughout these playoffs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know right there, calling all three games the same there. All right, now we have a Tennessee Titans at New England matchup to talk about the spread right now. Set at 13-and-a-half. I mean, it's, it, this is going to be a tough football game. In the Tom Brady era, the Titans are 1-6 against the Patriots, and that includes losing six straight. The only playoff game between these two teams in that era was a 17-14 to loss at home for, against the Patriots. In the Patriots' home in Foxborough, we lost them 17-14. to That was the same year that we beat... Uh, The Ravens, we were talking about that earlier in that '03 3 season. A very tight football game, but they came out with the win in the end. The last time the Titans beat the Patriots in Foxborough was 1993. It has been a long time since we've been able to overcome this New England squad, and it is going to be the toughest game that we've played all season. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that, Cody?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, This is going to be a tight – or not even a – it might not even be a tight game. If we don't play – a full football game like we did the second half of that game uh, it's not going to be pretty
0: I 100% agree with you it's it's going to be a tough football game it's not going to be easy to come out with this one we have to play a full football game we have to play good football for a full football game you know we have to come out and we have to do a lot of things so let's get into it the injury report right now um, DeMarco Murray still listed as uh, questionable day-to-day, as Malarkey would put it, with that knee injury. So we don't know what we're looking at with him. We do know that he had a complete uh, grade 3 tear of his MCL. You can play on that. However, it is extremely painful to play on an MCL tear. Also, it makes the possibility of an ACL tear very likely. So, you know, that is going to be something uh, that the Titans have to, you know, talk to the Marco Murray, like, do you want to risk this? How much pain is it putting you through? Is it some pain that we'll be able to manage throughout the football game? You know, those are the questions. I would like to see DeMarco Murray in this game on those third down opportunities and just use him in those long third downs only. That way you don't really risk um, injury too much and he's not dealing with that much pain. But, you know, I don't also I don't want to rush him back. I don't want this to be the last game of his career because we rushed him back from an injury. You know, DeMarco Murray has been good to us. He's a a fantastic player. We'd hate to see that happen. So we'll have to see what happens there. As for the Patriots, they have a couple guys, especially at running back, uh, that were injured, but it looks like they're all going to get to play. That's James White and Rex Burkhead. Uh, James White with an ankle injury, Burkhead with a knee injury, both likely for this game. Alan Branch along the defensive line uh, with a knee injury also listed as likely to play. The one that they do have, uh, Chris Hogan, their wide receiver, has a shoulder injury, still listed as questionable. We're not sure if we're going to see him or not. The, you know, the Patriots more than anybody like to play this close to the chest, so I'm sure we're not going to find out until much later in the week, maybe not even until a game time decision. So that's what it's looking right at, looking like right now. Really, only two guys, one for each team, that are questionable. Besides that, we're looking at pretty healthy rosters. Um, let's talk about the storylines of this game, Cody. The first one, Brady has really struggled throughout December. Brady throwing six TDs and five interceptions in his last five games. However, the team still went 4-1 and one during that span, only losing one to the Dolphins. So here's the question. Are we starting to see the decline, the age starting to creep up and catch up with Brady?
1: Uh, That's so tough to answer. I haven't looked at him closely enough to really tell, but um, I can tell you what that does say to me is the Patriots aren't built like the Colts. You see what happens when the Colts lost their quarterback. Um, The Patriots have enough talent on their roster to pick up that slack, so with or without Brady, they're still a good football team.
0: Absolutely, and I'm seeing, you know, we had a lot of injuries um, Edelman not being in there. Obviously, Chris Hogan, losing him for a while has been an issue. I think wide receiver play has been a little bit of a problem. But you still have guys like Gronk on this football team. You have, like, what, the other 35 running backs that that seem to be stars week in and week out, like Gillis Lee and like Lewis, um, that are still been healthy on this team. There's a lot of guys on this team. They ha- they still have playmakers, so it's not like they're out there with nothing. You, you know, you still have a lot of really good playmakers, cooks on this team. But uh, so I do think that it is losing a little bit of his talent. Uh, you can blame that on part of it, but I don't think that's the whole story. Uh, you know, it's not like they were playing really tough teams. That loss to the Dolphins was a real head scratcher. A Dolphins team that had a real up and down season, and you know, spent most of it. With Jay Cutler as their starter, between Jay Cutler and Matt Moore, their backup, uh, because of the loss of Ryan Tannehill, they had a really up and down season. So that loss was, you know, really a, a head scratcher. So you're looking at a team with Brady here. I don't. I, you can't say that he's in decline yet, because it just we haven't seen it consistently. It's one month, one month of bad play doesn't make a quarterback. You know, we've seen we've seen that this year with uh mariota has has had more than a month of bad games um this season statistically but you know we just saw an outstanding performance and you know we all know the best is yet to come with marcus so i can't say that it's decline yet but we do know for sure this team's not impossible to beat you know we've seen a dolphins team that you know did beat us with Marcus injured but everybody knows that if Marcus was in that game we would have dominated that team and we still almost beat that team with Matt Castle so we st- we see that there's you know this isn't an impen- impen- impenetrable offense there can be a you know a good defensive performance that really rattles Brady that gets him out of his groove and and you know that's what it shows me I, you can't say really truly honestly it's the start of the decline but what you can say is this team is not the team that it was years ago on offense. They're not a team that's going to come out and dominate on offense against good defenses.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. Tom Brady, you see him. If you beat him up enough, he's not going to score a whole lot of points. Um, what was it last year in the playoffs? I think they played the Texans, and he only scored, they scored 17 points. The Texans didn't score any, but Tom Brady took a beating in that game. And 17 points from an offense like that isn't a whole lot, and it it is doable to beat that. Um, As far as the Dolphins, the Dolphins is one of them head-scratcher things, because the Dolphins seem to play the Patriots tough every year, although they're not good against much anybody else. They always seem to play a tough game against the Patriots.
0: Yeah, you're right there. and They do have a very stellar defensive line in Miami, and that was the reason that they won. Uh, So our pass rush has to be a big part of this game, and we'll talk about that more on that later, but You know, it's something that you have to be able to do is get after Brady. Um, The next one, big storyline, and I think this has been in the back of the mind of every Titans fan, is how do you stop Gronkowski? How do you do it? The tight end is in his league of his own has been a matchup nightmare for literally his entire career. So what does Tennessee have to do to be able to stop Gronkowski?
1: Really? There's not much you can do with him. Playing Kelsey... And, um, Tyreek Hill last, last week against the Kansas City Chiefs, playing them with a good preview to this game. because have Cooks and Gronk and kind of see a, an elite tight end and a, and a speedy wide receiver from one week to the next. So, good warm up game, but really the only thing you can do for him is just, um, he's going to get his catches. He's going to get his yards. You just need to contain him after he does get them.
0: I agree with you, Dan.
1: Oh, and don't, and don't leave Williamson or Sip one-on-one with him, whatever you do. Don't 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 match him up one-on-one.
0: <laughs> that was going to be the big thing for me is you can't leave him one-on-one. I, I was thinking, you know, maybe play Sip over the top of him or let uh, the safety play of Bayer, just let him spy over the top while he's playing elsewhere and then play Jayon Brown on him. He's your most athletic linebacker. Get Jayon Brown against him. And you have to tell him, like, look, this is going to suck. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. But you need to push him off the line. You need to make him uncomfortable. You can't let him get in his routes. You can't let him get past you. You just have to be a dog. The entire game, you have to dog this guy. And I'm sure we'll see a bunch of different guys play on him, because that might even be the best answer is to get a fresh linebacker on him or fresh safety on him on every play. And really just as soon as the ball is snapped, hit him on the line. Really make Gronk work for every inch on that field. You know, press on every play. Really make him work for it. Make him tired. And then by the fourth quarter, he's out of the game. You know, not like injury wise. I don't want, don't want it to seem like I want them to go out and, and you know, purposefully injure anybody because I'm not rooting for that. But go out there and just, just dog him. Just make him tired, and and force him to get out of the game because of, uh, you know, just not being be able to be effective because of how tired you're making him. I want to see us hit him off the line on literally every play. Like I want to see us line up and just smack him in the mouth off the line on every play, make him work for everything, and then double coverage. But still, that's not a perfect recipe. I I still expect Gronkowski to have a decent day against us. There's not a whole lot that you can do. There's not a whole lot that anybody can do. When this guy's healthy and on the field, especially with a quarterback of Brady's caliber, He's going to get his yards. I mean, he's going to. He's just that good. So I'm not that worried about completely shutting him down, but we do have to slow him down. Um, so that's the way to do it. Hit him on every play, get fresh legs on him, You know, and, and really double-team him and stick to him. <clears throat> All right, the last one here, the Derrick Henry, DeMarco Murray uh, storyline for us. Malarkey already announced that Derrick Henry will start even if uh, Murray plays. So the first question is, if Murray plays, how do we use him and how much do we use him?
1: I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said only in third-down situations just to pick up the blitz and block from Mariota. Um, that's just a smart thing to do. Not only that, it's the right thing to do because the, the, the thing is with Murray and Henry, they're two powerbacks who get better as the game goes on. So you don't want to do a running back back midi with them, split carries with them. You want to let one guy be your feature back and let him wear out a defense for four quarters and maybe let the other guy be a breather. But you definitely want to have a feature. And when Murray hurt like he is, you don't want to risk too much more of an injury. Just let him play where Derrick Henry is a little bit weaker than what he is.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, like I said it earlier, and I 100% agree. Uh, that's what you got to do. You have to get, um, get him if you're going to use him. If he's going to play, get him in there on third downs. He's a great pass blocking running back. He's good catching and working in open field and you know picking up first downs. That's the only way that I'm going to use him in this game. If he's coming back, I still want to see uh, Demarco Murray or sorry, Derrick Henry be the bell cow running back, the guy that's getting the ball constantly in this game, the guy that's going to be out on first and every first and second down in this game. Uh, And use him, if you're going to use him, use him in those long third-down situations. Like third and six and further back, he should be on the field. That's the way I see that use him. Next one is, question, is really his future with the team. And what do you think that's going to be, Cody?
1: It it really, really depends. Um, John Robinson, we already know that this is not a sentimental football team. You look back with Jason McCourty and Michael Griffin for that. Um, will he take a pay cut Um, is he willing to let this be derrick henry's show you know because a lot of players they do have that eagle aspect of you know this is my team this is my show this is my time um so does demarco murray have that demeanor of course uh he cares about the team and the success and wants to win but is he willing to take the back seat in order for that to happen um so at his pay rate i don't think he's going to stay uh possibly if he takes a pay cut and is willing to uh, let take the back seat to Henry moving forward. Maybe he'll stay, or maybe we we'll use him as a trading piece. Of course, we're not going to get much for him, but um, maybe we can get a little something for him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't keep him at the contract that you have him, so he has to be willing to take a pay, cru- pay cut. He has to be willing to take, a, obviously, the back seat to Derrick Henry. So if he's willing to do those things... Then, yeah, I mean, why not keep him back? He, he's a great running back. He still has, I think I think he still has quite a few years left in him, especially if he's playing a diminished role. You know, that's going to make his career even longer. But does he want that money? You know, you can't really blame him if he does, and you really can't blame him if he's like, you know, I'm still thinking of a feature back. I'm going to go somewhere else and be their feature back. You, I can't blame him for wanting to do that. So that's really what it depends on. If he's willing to take the pay cut, if he's willing to take the diminished role, absolutely bring him back. He's, you know, I mean, he would be a great asset to have and a great piece to start alongside uh, Derrick Henry. But if he's not willing to do that, then, I mean, he's not willing to. You need to move on. You can't keep paying him a uh, starting running back salary when he's no longer your starting running back we're going to have to move on and you know, find someone either through the draft or through the offseason that can be that uh, third down kind of back for us. Because I do think I think that Derrick Henry has the ability to improve his game to be a true third, three down back, which is incredibly rare to have a true three down back in this league. I think he does. But as of right now, you want someone who's a little, little bit better at picking up the pass block, a little bit better with his hands. Although I do think he's – pretty much there in the passing game but you want someone that's better in the pass blocking kind of uh scheme so you know we'll we'll find somebody it's you know running backs like they say nowadays are a dime a dozen there's a million of them that come out in the draft that can be used to some extent and be successful you know you know for a fact though you have your number one back next year
1: yeah for sure And a lot of fans if it comes down to a to a fight, I guess, because, you know, at the end, at the end, the the organization is going to do what's best for the organization, and DeMarco Murray is going to do be- what's best for DeMarco Murray and his family, and there's going to be some down to that that are going to hate DeMarco and, and uh, you know, get rid of him, he's trash, basically the same way it was with Chris Johnson back in the day, and that's kind of blown over now, but I, I think that's wrong. They shouldn't be like that, because you remember when he first showed up and uh i remember an interview pretty specifically they was asking about how he had success in dallas and how he had some success in philadelphia uh, a lot more than what we were having at the time they asked him how he felt about coming to a team that went two and 14 and then three and 13 and how he would feel about finishing like that and he said oh that ain't gonna happen he said he was gonna make damn sure that wasn't gonna happen not with him around and uh, he was right it didn't happen
0: (laughs) absolutely it definitely didn't happen and, you know, I don't really ever blame him for the Philadelphia years. They use him the wrong way, so that had a lot to do with it. And we're, I don't think we're truly seeing a decline from him yet. I think that he still has the ability to be a really good running back in this league. Maybe a slight decline, but you had to consider all the injuries that he went through. The play calling was bad. No one on this team, especially on the offense, I'll say that, no one on the offense this entire season was having a great year. You know, everybody's numbers were down. Mariota's numbers were down. Delaney Walker's numbers were down. Um, You know, Corey Davis has only been a factor in maybe four games, like all season long. So there was a lot on this offense that really hurt. So you can't just say that DeMarco, or sorry, that, yeah, DeMarco Murray. Like, all of his woes this year is all on him. Like, that's not fair if you're going to say, like, but the rest of the offense, it's because of play calling. Like, that's that's not a fair yeah. assessment to make. <laughs> he's still a really good running back. And I still think he has quite a few years left in him. Uh, but, you know, the way that Derrick Henry is playing right now, you have to go with Henry. I mean, you have to at this point. You have to realize that this is the guy that's going to be your future. The way that he's running right now is just outstanding. The games he has had in the fourth quarters he has had we talk about clutch fourth quarter performances all the time with when it comes to quarterbacks, but running backs we never really bring it up. This guy is a game closer. When you get to that point where you're almost there, Derrick Henry will slam the door shut, and he, we've seen him do it game after game after game. And he did it in this Kansas City game. He is a guy that just he ends football games. He wins football games in the fourth quarter, and you know that's the guy you got to have on the field.
1: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And like I said before, its uh, I will say this about the coaching. I don't like how they used them while they were both active. You know, more uh, DeMarco Murray gets two runs. Derrick Henry gets two runs. back and, It was more back and forth than what it was the previous season. The way both of these guys are built, it's—it's it's, you need to use them for the full game and let them wear out a defense. And I think that's a lot of it because defense, defenses wasn't getting worn out like they were before. Uh, you need to pound the these guys are used as pounders, pound the defense all game long, and that just wasn't happening this year.
0: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. Um next we have coming on the show with us a Patriots insider that's gonna give us his view of the game. All right, we're very excited to have with us Amos Conway die hard a patriots fan a good friend of mine and you know a, t- a patriots insider and also uh, a fellow podcaster on the fourth and wrong podcast which i'm also a part of uh glad to have you on amos
2: yeah man it's good to be here it's been a while well we've, we've all been busy
0: but things are to slow down it's been a good
2: day i'm ready for some football this weekend we got a couple of good matchups man i'm really really excited
0: yeah, I'm excited too I know Cody here is excited as well and We have a big matchup this week You know, the Titans and the Patriots A team that has been great for, what is it, 16 years now? A team that's really trying to starting to find themselves again After not being great Since basically the start of the Tom Brady era So two very different teams facing off The first thing I want to ask you, Amos Is there anything to be made You know, we've heard all these rumors in Foxborough Coming out of you know, Tom Brady doesn't like Belichick. Belichick doesn't like Kraft. Kraft doesn't like Tom Brady. All the you know tensions going on. Is there anything to be made from that, or is it just another story that they just like thrown out there?
2: I yeah, I think there is something to be made of that. This is a group of guys. especially Kraft, Brady, and Belichick. They've been together. They've you know had sustained success together. Belichick has basically ran the ship, and you know no questions asked by Kraft. He's cut players, you know. Whenever he's wanted, you know. For a good example, Lawyer Malloy, when he really first took over the team, cut him in the preseason. I, there is. I, listen, I think when you're together that long as a group of people, as a group of guys, you know, they talk about the Patriot way and that there's no emotion. It's all about football. It's all about the team aspect and winning. But almost, it's almost just a prob- infinite probability that. Eventually, something like this was going to happen between the three, or at least between two of them, and it just happens to be the three big guys up there in Foxborough. And I think it's turned into a bit of a power struggle with Belichick and Brady, and Kraft clearly has Tom Brady's back. And, I mean, it's going to be interesting how this plays out, because this is also the first year that I remember Belichick actually helping coach up his coordinators in Josh McDaniels and Matt Matt Patricia for these upcoming head head coaching job interviews. And, you know, it's speculated that Patricia will be the head coach of the Lions. So, you know, he got some good coaching from Belichick on that one. But, yeah, I think there is something to be made. The offseason will be more telling. You know, I think they're going to be all football, all business coming into this weekend. But I think it could end up becoming a distraction.
3: I like the way that Colin Coherd explained it. And uh, since you're more close to the Patriots, what do you think about the way he explained it? He said, basically between Brady and Bilicek, you have two alpha males, and they both already won their rings, they made their money, and now it's about submitting a legacy, and they're both kind of going head-to-head at that because Brady, when we look back on this 10 years from now, uh, Brady wants it to be where you think, yeah, Brady was the man. Bilicek wants it to be to where you think Bilicek is the man, and it's just egos butting heads. Do Do you feel like that's a good way to explain
2: it? um in a way I can see where he's coming from that uh, coming from there with that as far as like submitting their legacies yes however I don't think it's you know I think they both want to be recognized as a guy who helped that organization win the guys who won you know five Super Bowls or more you know we'll see by the time they both retire but I really think it's Brady wants to be known as the best quarterback ever Belichick wants to be known as the best head coach ever I mean he's been chasing um those guys, forever, especially those 72 Dolphins, he wanted that perfect season. I don't think it's about necessarily who's the top dog in New England and who's going to be remembered. Because I mean, at the end of the day, they're both going to be remembered. You're not going to remember one without you know the other one being right there in that same conversation or at least brought up in that conversation. So as much as I can see he's submitting the legacy, but I think Brady wants to submit his legacy as the best quarterback ever And especially, you know, sticking with the Patriots throughout his entire career. And I think on Belichick's end, I think Belichick also wants to be the best head coach ever. But I think he wants to prove that he can win without Tom Brady, which is why I think the Jimmy Garoppolo trade was so upsetting to him because I think he wanted to prove that he could win without Tom Brady. And now, you know, with his age and everything else, does he really want to go to another team that's going to have to rebuild and everything else with the speculations? I don't think so. I think that... You just have to cement your legacy together, whether you, you know you begin to hate each other or not. We makes a lot of
0: sense. Yeah, absolutely, it does. And, and, and building off of that, Amos, pertaining to this game, do you think that this this tension will have any effect on this game at all between the Tennessee Titans and the Patriots?
2: I think it can. I think it can. Uh, it's listen, people who say no, the Patriots are going to be all business. You know, they're going to go in there. It's going to be all about football. We thought the same thing going into week one of the season. And clearly having Roger Goodell there with the banner and everything else, the the Super Bowl banner, uh, the lowering of the banner and everything everything that went along with that, it was clearly a distraction for that team. They were not ready for uh, an offensive-powered Kansas City. They went into that game, I think, a little bit hyped up over the offseason. Uh, You know, this team is better than the one in 2007, more complete team and everything else. So I think it can become a distraction because that kind of thing internally – does get to people because what this article comes from, it doesn't come from, you know, guys, it doesn't come from Belichick, Kraft, and Brady. It comes from people within the organization. So, therefore, there's whispers around, there's distractions. You know that's going to get to the players, and you're trying to keep them focused on just the bulletin board and, you know, keep them focused on the Tennessee Titans. But that stuff does creep into the mind. You know, they came out and they've said all the right things. I wouldn't want to play with another coach than Belichick, and I wouldn't want to in another quarterback than Tom Brady. You know, they're saying all the right things, but underneath, there's got it. It's got to be a little bit of a distraction. And I think if they're not completely focused this week in preparation, game situations, practicing the situations which Belichick is known for, if they're off in anything, if it you know becomes whispers, I think that they can go in and they can be caught off guard by the Titans this weekend.
0: No, I mean it's a great point. It's something that we talked about was how. You know, Belichick is the coach that's going to take something away from you. He's a guy that's known for being a great strategic thinker. You know, he's he's great at at pulling matchups. So definitely, uh, you know, some interesting words there. I think all Titans fans would be interested to hear. The next question, uh, you know, speaking of this Titans team, coming from the perspective of a Patriots fan, what worries you the most about playing the Titans this weekend?
2: Oh, it's got to be that run game. And it's not necessarily the north and south of Derrick Henry. It's also the legs of Mariota. Um, in the past, the Patriots have been a team who have struggled with mobile quarterbacks. They've struggled with, you know, looking back, I'm not saying that the Titans were going to run the Wildcat, but we all, I don't know if you guys remember what Ronnie Brown and the Dolphins did to the Patriots when they surprised New England with the Wildcat in Miami. And I think if the Titans... They catch them off guard with that run game, and that does worry me. This has been a team who has given up a lot of yards. You know, they've cut down on the scoring. They, I think they slipped into, like, the top ten or top five in scoring defenses. But they're still giving up a ton of yards. They've been a little better on the run. But, you know, they're down linebackers. High towers out. And the defensive front are, you know, we got Trey Flowers, who's good, but he's really better of a pass rusher. And then Deidre Wise, Jr., who is also a rookie, better of a pass rusher. And that Titans offensive line is big and bruising and mean. And that run game, and then I think if Malarkey is smart and runs uh, and decides to go with a little bit of that RPO, that run-pass option offense, I think that can be something that the Patriots really, really struggle with.
0: One thing real quick, I was just going to say, uh, it's hard to find holes in that Patriots team, but one thing it does seem like they've had problems with is, uh, is mobile quarterbacks this year. You know the Chiefs with Alex Smith had a good game running in that game. The Panthers, another loss that they had with Cam Newton. You know it does seem like if you're going to find a weakness of the Patriots, that has to be one as mobile quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, I mean if you really you can look at look at Alabama who just won the national championship. Nick Saban comes from that Belichick coaching tree. Alabama has one issue defensively with teams when especially with mobile quarterbacks like it it's even slipped down into Nick Saban a little bit as great of a coach as he is you know he gets to pick all those players great defensive players still is that runs that style of defense and it, you know it, they have a hard time with mobile quarterbacks and it's same thing with Saban as it was with the defense they're built to seal the edge and really just they're all built to do their job but at some point Being a better athlete doesn't make you a better football player at the NFL level. But if you can make a guy miss with your athleticism, you you, you can really, really put some hurt on that defense.
0: All right. uh, Those are some great points. Great points. So on the other side of the same coin here, Amos, what makes you excited about this matchup?
2: Um, Exactly that. Listen, we've seen uh, last week – Mariota and the Titans take over and in the second half, especially, you know, overcome that 18 point deficit. Titans looked like they put it together a little bit. Mariota, to me, had probably one of his best games of the season, if not the best game of the season, really showed up in the playoffs. Derrick Henry really, really thrived off being, you know, that lead guy. And DeMarco Murray's out this weekend, too, so he gets that chance to be that guy again. And it's just an exciting young team. Uh, I'm listen. We got the Patriots with Tom Brady being 40 years old. As much as he wants to play until 45, he's still at the you know the end of his career eventually. Where Mariota's really starting to begin his. And Mariota's a good quarterback. He's coming out. There was a lot of questions with you know how he, he was going to pick up defenses and everything else. And I know he struggled a little bit this year, but he's he's done well. He's, you know, he's had up and ups and downs. That receiving core isn't the best. I mean, they're up and down as well. And it's just, I think it's just an exciting matchup for both. I mean, you've got two completely really different styles of offense, obviously, with, you know, the quarterbacks and what they can do. Defensively, it's a Dick LeBeau coach defense, and Tom Brady has had success against that defense, so that excites me a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I, I just think it's a good matchup. I You know, we're looking at uh, the NFL right now the present and then uh, the future of the NFL and a guy like Marcus Mariota and Derrick Henry so it's a really really exciting matchup with the young players old players I think there's just a good mixture defensively talent offensively uh, offensive line I mean really anywhere you look on the field if one team isn't like the Patriots offensive line average at best Titans offensive line When they play at their level that they should, absolutely outstanding, and they're amazing and fun to watch. I know not everybody loves that because it's not pretty, it's not flashy, but on that offensive line gels for the Titans, it's really a thing of beauty to watch how they, you know, in sync and be able to get Henry open, and he breaks off those huge runs. And then, you know, the Patriots defensively, that secondary is starting to come together a little bit. But, you know, I'm excited for this matchup. It's just – it's a good mixture of everything you want in a football game, and I think it's really going to live up to the hype.
3: Now, to switch gears a little bit, going back to the coaches, do you think that Bill Belichick may have a little bit of advantage having Mike Malarkey head coach in the same division for a couple of years, or do you think that will give Mike Malarkey more of an advantage? I
2: I think it gives Belichick more of an advantage – Malarkey is not a guy who's been known for his success in the NFL, you know, with Buffalo, with Jacksonville. And I know that he's had a little bit with Tennessee, but I I think the roster is better than the coaching. And I think the coaching in Tennessee holds back the roster a little bit. And Belichick has had success. Brady has had success against, you know, those malarkey teams in Jacksonville and with, um, excuse me, with, against Buffalo, obviously, with Brady's record against Buffalo being the best ever for any starting quarterback against an opposing uh, divisional team. So uh, I think the edge in coaching definitely goes to Belichick because you're talking about a team. Belichick's when the Titan, you put the Titans on tape, you kind of see what they're going to try to do. Where the Patriots, they are a chameleon team. They are week by week, and it's really kind of hard to understand what they're going to come out and do. To where I think with the malarkey, they're going to want to run the ball. And, you know, last week I think they did the right thing and let Mariota sling it a little bit. But Brady's had a ton of success, as Belichick has had, against that Dick LeBeau defense and also against that malarkey, you know, that smash-mouth exotic offense. So uh, I think the coaching definitely goes to the Patriots in this one.
3: A lot of good points, and there's a lot of Titans fans that would agree with you on the coaching.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The one thing I was going to say, you know, I agree with you. and It's something that, you know, any honest Titans fan would agree with. Uh, but the one thing, you know, you talk about play calling and stuff, does it worry you at all, you know, because they are, a, a, you know, a very predictable team. But now we're letting Marcus take the reins over. We're letting him take the play calling over. So you're seeing a lot more – a lot of difference. You know, it's, it's, it's a little harder to run because you've only seen Marcus call three quarters, you know, this season – so does that worry you at all from a play-calling standpoint now that, you know, you know it's out of Terry Obisky's hands, it's going to be in Marcus's hands, so the offense is going to be a little different?
2: It worries me if they It worries me if they don't let Marcus do it a whole lot in the first half, and let's say that game is tight, and then they come out in the second half and they kind of do what they did against Kansas City, which is really let him take over the reins and, you know, flash what he's able to do. Reason why I say that is the Patriots are a great adjustment team at halftime. So if the Titans come out there and they show their card with Mariota, what he's going to do, they're going to get an idea of you know the style of play that the Titans are running, that the, what Mariota is going to want to run. But if they have that script where you know they have 15, 20 plays of that game scripted out, I think it's much more an advantage for them to stick to that script, play solid defense, try to you know get um press the uh, receivers of the patriots try to keep that game tight and run the ball with derrick henry wear out that patriots defense and then come out in the second half and really just completely switch your game plan and let mario to take over and i think that is where the patriots would be in trouble the most because you've adjusted then you've spent the half tr- or that halftime break adjusting to what they just did to you in the first half come out in the second half and it's something completely different it's hard to do that on the fly and, and make the adjustments. And, I, you know, the Patriots can do it, but with the you – know, I'm not making excuses, but we are. they are injured a little bit in that front seven. That secondary has not played well. So I think if those guys get set into thinking what, you know, the Titans are going to do and Tennessee switches it up on them in the second half after, you know, showing them basically just a first-half script of what we would expect, uh, I think the Patriots could be in for a long day.
0: It's definitely an interesting point of view. I think most Titans fans are looking – and hoping that Marcus gets the call, but you bring up a great uh, for the entire game. But you bring up a great point, and that they do adjust really well. So there might be something to, you know, maybe I mean, there's no Titans fan out there right now, to be honest. That once Terry Olsky calling plays uh, outside of maybe Terry Rubisky and his wife. <laughs> but outside of that, you know, everybody wants to see Marcus call. Him, but you bring up a great point. It might be uh, fitting for. You know, maybe Malarkey, or maybe even Jason Michaels, the quarterback coach, to take play calling for a little bit, and then hand the reins over. Um, I mean, there's a, there's obviously a great point to be made there. One thing I definitely wanted to ask you, Amos, is and this is a storyline in any game where you have one team that's really, um, really favored to win, and that's the situation here. And when we all know that, you know, it's a thirteen and a half point spread for a reason. But anytime you have one team that's heavily favored over the other, you always get that, well, are they overlooking him? So does that come into your mind at all as a fan going into this game? Like, could the Patriots overlook the Tennessee Titans?
2: It's a playoff game, so I don't think the Patriots will overlook the Tennessee Titans. However, when a team is favored, you know, so heavily in a a playoff game or even in general, It does worry me a little bit because usually those games end up being extremely, extremely tight. And, you know, sometimes those uh, underdogs pull off the upset. And a lot of times, you know, the team favored by seven or eight escapes by, you know, kicking a field goal with time expiring. So it is something to worry about. I don't like the spreads. I don't like reading into them too much because that's the kind of thing that. You do sit back and think, and I know a lot of people go, oh, seven points, they're, they're, they got it, or they're going to, you know, they're going to handle it. It's, it's not even going to be a game." I think mean, Tennessee got into the playoffs. You know, they proved last week when everybody thought it wasn't going to be a game anymore, turned around, and especially in that second quarter, started making that a game, and then took over and really controlled the second half and made Kansas City get away from what they were trying to do. And obviously made them panic a little bit with, you know, the game plan, what they're trying to succeed with on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I think it is. I don't like the spread. I think it's going to be a tight ball game. You know, it's playoffs, man. And all these guys come out to play. And obviously, you know, this is the first time we really get to see the flash of Marcus Mariota. And this guy looks like a quarterback who is primed to succeed in the playoffs looks like a guy who he may never get you 14 and 2 or 13 and 3 it may be 12 and 4 11 and 5 but when you get in the playoffs and you let Marcus take over he looks like a quarterback who just wins
0: no i mean that's definitely a high honor and and it's you know, it's something that I think a lot of people have been talking about. Because any time a quarterback's going to be good, he's going to immediately be compared to Brady. Like, it, that's that's always going to be the comparison, at least for, you know, a while. And it was the same thing when Joe Montana got to that point. It's the same thing with, with every quarterback, Brett Favre, when they get to that point in their career where they're obviously a great. And, you know, Tom Brady, easily you can make the argument that he's the best of all time. I think most people are sold on that fact. So... You know, people start comparing, and, and obviously you can't compare the the passing stats, you can't compare the success and stuff, but a lot of people have been comparing um, what they would be willing to do to win, After, especially after this game where, you know, he had a, Mariota had a uh, receiving touchdown from a pass that he threw, which was just ridiculous. Um, yeah, know, he, that was crazy. Yeah, and he has to block to seal the game. He has numerous rushing yards, you know, touchdown pass to Decker to seal it. There was a lot that he did in this game. And it, there's no better competitor in the NFL than Tom Brady. Like, that, that's just a fact. You look at the guy's diet and everything he does to prepare. But that's something that has been said is you don't see Brady throwing blocks. You don't see Brady make – like, it just seems like when the game was on the line, Marcus wants the ball in his hands and nobody else's, and he wants to fight as hard as he can. And that's the one comparison that uh, you know a lot of Titans fans have been making in the favor of Mariota is he can he does more with the game on the line. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, but I mean that's yes, but I think that gets a little skewed because obviously and clearly Marcus Mariota is a better athlete. He has the ability to do more. Even when Tom Brady was, you know, 24, 25, 26, Brady didn't have the ability that Mariota has in general, like just the natural God-given gifts and athleticism. A guy, you know, Mariota's not, he's he's accurate, he's got the legs, he can escape, he's, you know, he's very, he's elusive. He he reminds me a lot like of uh, Ted Ginn when Ted Ginn was in college. You'd watch Ted Ginn run, and he's running full speed, and he looks like he's jogging, but he's just outrunning everybody. And Mariota is a guy like that. Like, you see him take off, and he looks like, you know, he's just jogging. Or he looks like he's jogging, but he's just outrunning everybody because of the athleticism. And he wants the ball in his hands because he can just naturally do more with his, you know, with his athletic ability. Which, uh, it's a fair point, but, I mean, it's really, really hard to say that. Uh, really hard to go with that line, especially when the Patriots are coming off a year where they erased a twenty five point deficit with like
0: nineteen minutes
2: to go in a Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and I think another point that you could make to that and an argument against is he doesn't have to do as much. you know Brady doesn't have to do as much with this team. We haven't seen Brady have to do as much for a while, and there has been teams where Brady had to do more. Um, but this year, I feel like you guys have a solid roster where he doesn't have to do as much, although injuries have been uh, a little bit of a concern. Uh, But, you know, he doesn't have to do everything, Um, and sometimes it feels like Marcus does. But uh, moving on to the next one here, and one one thing I'm definitely going to be looking for, Logan Ryan, it's his homecoming. Back to New England, Back to the Patriots, we also have a couple other guys. You know, Josh Klein comes to mind. Our general manager obviously we spent a lot of time with the Patriots. Coming from that angle, because there aren't a lot of guys on the on the you know the other side of the coin that were Titans and our Patriots outside of Kenny Britt, and, it, and it's been a long time since Kenny Britt was a Titan. Does that you know? It's obviously going to come into play, but does that worry you as a fan at all, or does it really because you guys are such a million <coughs> team, as you put it? That you switch stuff up so often that it's really not going to have a positive effect for the Titans.
2: I think Logan Ryan, more than anybody, is definitely the one that concerns me a little bit because as much as the Patriots are a chameleon, they're going to try to disguise to confuse uh, Marcus. Logan Ryan, he's just bound to recognize a couple of those coverages of what the Patriots are doing. Every team has, you know, probably. Uh, a handful of defensive plays that they just really, really like to run because the team is extremely successful when they run that defense. So that's something that Logan Ryan may be able to run on the sideline in big, big situations for the Tennessee Titans offense, something where, you know, they can either call something in at the sideline in the last minute, something that Logan Ryan is able to recognize. I I think it does give a little – I don't know how much the Patriots will do it. I'm sure that, you know, they know – what Logan Ryan knows on that team. I mean, Brian, Logan Ryan was there for a, a long time. really like the guy. He's very physical. and But they also know Logan Ryan. So, I, you know, I'm expecting probably, I don't know who will line up against Logan Ryan, but yeah, I could see it being Brandon Cooks or um, someone like, uh, oh, man, probably Hogan if he plays. It's somebody that they're going to know what Logan Ryan likes to do, what he can't do. The same thing with Logan Ryan. He's going to recognize things on you know that offense, what the Patriots like do. He's seen them in practice every day for you know three or four years, so it's going to be something he's able to recognize. He's going to you know understand maybe some of the call out, some of the audibles, some of the the verbiage for the New England Patriots, and he's going to be able to call that out to help their defense. And it could be something that you know by Brady struggles with because everybody on that team, Logan Ryan knows, except for really except for Brandon Cooks. So he also knows what those receivers are good at, you know, coming off the line doing or little signals or anything, you know, emotions or something that made he may know what sets off Tom Brady if defensively if they move around or they try to do something. And then he'll know something offensively if Brady motions, you know, Amendola to a certain area or Hogan to a certain area or to a certain formation, you know, I, there's. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of familiarity between these teams, and that's one thing that really is intriguing about this too is there's a lot of connections, a lot of ties, and it's almost like I don't know, it, it, it's going to be fun to watch because it, it, there's just so much familiarity. Uh, these teams are going to know each other without knowing each other.
3: Looking at the defensive side of the ball, for the Titans anyway, still on the offensive side for the Patriots, uh, the Titans have the league leader in interceptions and Kevin Byer, who's very young, uh, is his name getting out there any? Did the Patriots know who he is? Are they going to try to avoid him or anything like that?
2: Yeah, now, uh, Kevin Byard, I'm pretty sure, put a target on his back with a guy like Brady. He, uh, I believe at some point this week he came out and said that he was going to make Tom Brady look like Blake Bortles. That was the exact quote, yes. We well, yes. talked
0: about that earlier. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, and,
2: and that's probably not the route to take with Brady. Uh, History shows that when people have made statements about Tom Brady that he has in turn targeted them quite a bit throughout the game. Uh, Most noticeably was Ryan Clark, I believe, in the AFC Championship game. Uh, uh, It's been quite a while back, but Brady picked on him all day, and Ryan Clark couldn't do anything about it. And it's happened with Darren Lee when he was drafted about covering Gronk, and they picked on Darren Lee and embarrassed him with Gronk. So... Brady's not a guy who you want to give Bolton board material to. And it kind of surprises me with a guy like Logan Ryan on the team that something like that was really even said, because how many times have we heard, listen, you don't want to give the Patriots Bolton board material. You don't want to give them... like They have inner turmoil going on right now. And instead of letting them kind of stew about that and figure that out and kind of hope that becomes a distraction to themselves, if anything, now you have put them on a mentality and a focus and really put them back on track as a whole team, and push that turmoil out of their head. And now they're focusing on that comment, on that bulletin board material. And if anything, I understand like the confidence, and I appreciate it. But when you have a team like the Patriots, and they're sustained success, it's sustained success especially in the playoffs, and they have a distraction inside of their team, which does not ever happen, And then you man it, and then you come out and you do the one thing that no other team has even ever had the chance to do, which is just let them stew and hope that they stumble over themselves because the Patriots usually don't beat themselves. And there's a chance that they would have this weekend without that comment. But now that comment really brings that team back together and they're going to focus on it. So uh, I think Baird really, really, I think he hurt himself, and I really think he hurt the Titans with that comment.
0: I mean, there's something to that to be said. There's nothing that makes friends like a common enemy, and obviously, when when Bayard says stuff like that, I think that you, that you have a point there. And it's also, and it's I've been talking about it a lot this week, and I haven't brought it up in the show. Is the Patriots never give you bullet, bulletin board material? They like never ever give another team bulletin board material. And we we talk about you know the stats and stuff, and and a lot of the old school guys talk about the emotions of the game. But I think there is something to be said about the Patriots' level of success and also never giving anybody bulletin board material. They go in very professional every game. They don't talk. They go in and they just do what the Patriots do. You know, there might be something to be said there with the success that they've had, the fact that they don't ever do that.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, if the Patriots, if this was Week 17 and the Patriots are playing the 0-15 Cleveland Browns, the Patriots are up there talking about how good of a roster the Cleveland Browns have. That there's a lot of talent on that team. That the Browns have simply had bad luck and have just been on the unfortunate side of football in general. And that you know, as much as their own 15, they could be 15 and 0. The Patriots, are, they don't give people bulletin board material, and I, that's how it would be if they were playing the Browns. So, I, and I think that's the way to go about it. I don't think you want to give another team ammunition at any time, something to focus on, something to build them up something that they can stew over and they can read over and over again. So I think that was, I think it's something to be said about really, I guess a little bit of professionalism and a little bit of it's just, Hey, like, yeah, we're not going to give you anything. So if you're going to beat us, you're going to do it because your game plan is better than us. Not because we gave you a bunch of stuff that you can read over and stew and really target.
0: We were talking earlier in the show, Amos, um, December has not been a kind month to Tom Brady. Over the last five games, the team has still managed to stay at 4-1 and one over five games. But Brady's six touchdowns, five interceptions. It has been, a, you know, as far as Tom Brady goes, a very bad month. You know, for most quarterbacks, that would be, you know, slightly below average or below average. But for Brady, that is not a good month at all. And So does that worry you at all that, you know, in the last five weeks, he has not been playing the level that, you know, you normally see from Tom Brady?
2: No, not really, because I think playoff Brady is always going to be playoff Brady. Yeah, obviously, that edge it will be there eventually, that cliff. However, as much as Brady has struggled, Deion Lewis in that run game has been very, very strong. That offensive line has gotten much, much better in the run game. They've had to shuffle the offensive line a little bit with Marcus Cannon being her, and then the backup, or uh, Adrian Waddle being her. So then you had Fleming out there. And so I think it's a little bit of a mixture of injuries – I think Gronk being out uh, Hogan being out and then Burkhead being out. So I think they were trying to adjust on the fly because they use the running backs a lot this year in the last few weeks, you know, Burkhead going out Hogan going out and then James White going out. That's really uh, three really extremely important guys on that offense that that offense is really, you know, James White a little bit less because they've leaned on Burkhead a lot in Lewis, but this is a, you know, a, some guys that this team has really ran their offense through. So I think there's a little bit of an adjustment period there. But we're looking to get Hogan back, you know, I think I'm questionable on Burkhead, but I think White's going to play as well. So I expect Brady to bounce back this week in the playoffs.
0: Amos, we talked about it earlier. And short of hiring a hitman, what in the fuck do you do to stop Gronkowski? Like, is there anything that you can do to to really slow this guy down?
2: I think – no, I mean, listen, you can look at every other position in the NFL and you can argue at least two guys being the best at that position ever. I, I you can't outside. I mean, Gron- I mean, you can say Tony Gonzalez, but like not really. Tony was a really, really good receiver, he was an all right blocker. Gronk is they only made one of Gronk and it's proven. And it doesn't matter if he's double covered, triple covered. It doesn't matter if the you know he's six foot seven it doesn't matter if Brady is throwing that ball an inch off the ground to keep it away from the defender or you know uh, over his head uh, he's you can't how do you stop him outside of outside of pr- purposely trying to injure him or you know hold him or interfere with him I don't know if there's a way I mean if you guys think there is like I'm I'm not being sarcastic or anything I'm curious to hear it because I've watched him so much. And uh, outside of Gronk getting pass in, offensive pass interference calls on himself, I have not seen a way to stop Gronkowski when he's healthy.
0: Yeah, we talked about it. We had ideas earlier, you know, of you know, things that you can do. You're not going to stop him though, and we said that earlier. And just you're just not going to stop him. So my idea is to stop Gronkowski. Let's, let's see how good of an idea this is, Amos. Start a Twitter campaign and let's, it'll, it'll catch fire. That the Patriots can't win without Gronkowski, and then the Patriots might get cocky enough to play without Gronkowski. Do you think? There, do you think that might? Because that seems like the most like legit way to maybe stop him. Because I don't think there's a way. The guy's just—he's just that good.
2: No, they would play Gronkowski, and they would use him like they do, except they just wouldn't throw him anything. They would just use him as a distraction the entire time.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's probably the truth. But, you know, and we've had ideas about, you know, well, John Brown, our young rookie. He's very athletic. You put him on him and then you double team with a safety over top. You know, very, you know, very few times do you let him go single coverage in a football game. You know, I mean, that's really all you can do. There's, it's just a guy that each and every week is is a matchup issue for 31 teams in the NFL. I mean, that's that's why you pay him like you do. That's why he is what he is. I mean, it's just because he's a matchup nightmare.
2: Yeah, there's just, I mean, it's it's really hard to try to figure
0: out a way to stop
2: him. I I've seen issues where he's hurt himself with penalties, offensive, you know, pass or whatever, but. He is—he's just a man among men. He really is out there playing that tight end position. Yeah, you look at him, and he doesn't look fast, but then he gets the ball in his hand, and he's out running—you know—your entire defense. And it's just like he's six foot seven, two hundred sixty-five, two hundred seventy pounds, and he's white. Like he should be able to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what's the one thing about this Patriots team that Titans fans may not know?
2: There's a lot more talent offensively, than I think they're given credit for. Uh, you know, at beginning of this year, people were talking, oh, this is Brady's best cast ever, and then the season starts, and clearly that is not the case. Like, Brandon Cooks was a good addition. However, you know, Lee has not panned out. Dwayne Allen has not panned out. Edelman's obviously been hurt. But, you know, the running back position, the talent there, this in the, the signing of Kenny Britt, Chris Hogan, who had, I believe, like, uh five touchdowns in five games when he's healthy or like seven touchdowns seven games i forget what he got to but this team is extremely talented and all these guys have the ability uh, to just get open and i know you know that's easily being said but i think this is probably on offensively we're a lot deeper than what we appear
0: Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a good point there so we played a, a finish the sentence game earlier. So I'm gonna play it real quick with you. I have two for you before we get out of here, Amos. Finish right. this. Finish this sentence for me. T- Patriots win if
2: they seal the edge and do not let Mariota have success on RPOs.
0: And on the inverse of that, Titans win if
2: they m- play a power running game really, really go after that Patriots defensive front and really, really just – I think they have success if they get that RPO going. And they do a lot of movement with that athletic ability of Mariota with Derrick Henry because that Patriots defense isn't – I mean, they're good at doing their job, but they're not very athletic. And the talent is really, really hurt on that team. So I think if they take the opportunity and take the chance and really, really – try to confuse that defensive line before the snap and have success in those RPOs, uh, I think that they're, the Titans are in for a really, really good day.
0: Yeah, I mean, you heard it there, guys. It's a lot of what we were saying in the show. Um, Amos, it's a pleasure having you on. Uh, you know, each and every week I, I wish you nothing but the best, but I hope you have a bad weekend this weekend, brother, because I want to see the Titans get a win. But thanks, <laughs> I do It's going to be a good for- game. I think it will, too. Thanks for coming on. You can find Amos at Amos Conway on Twitter, and also you can find him with the Fourth and Wrong podcast, uh, which is just a general NFL podcast. It's really good. You should definitely listen to it.
2: All right, guys. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. All right. Thanks again to Amos Conway for coming on and give us an inside look into the Patriots. So now let's head into the matchups that we're really looking forward to in this game. Cody, what are some matchups that you're really looking at?
1: Okay, so we got Gronk, and we know we're going to have a linebacker, whether it be Avery Williamson, Wesley Woodyard, or Jayon Brown cover him, or maybe a safety, but the Patriots also have really good receiving backs in Rex Burkhead and James White. I'm going to be interested in seeing who's going to cover them and how how effective they're going to be in doing so as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, they love to use these running backs out of the backfield. And, and it's something that the Titans have had some great successes with and some big failures. So I think you're right in the fact that it'll be a key matchup.
1: On the offensive side of the ball, uh, I'm going to be looking at our wide receivers versus their uh, cornerbacks because the Patriots are going to score points and we're not going to be able to win this football game strictly on the ground. We're going to have to keep the defense honest uh let them know that we're not afraid to take shots deep so i'm going to be looking to see if our wide receivers are going to step up in this game and make some plays for us
0: great point i think we're going to have to be able to be um efficient you know this isn't a great rush defense but everybody knows bill belichick likes to come in and take away your best attribute and and you know make you beat him a different way and our best attribute is the fact that we run the ball so well. So I think it's something that he's going to really try to tee off on and force us to play uh, in the passing game. So great point there too. Uh, as for my matchups, I went Derek Henry against this Pat's rush defense. As I mentioned, I think he will try to load the box and force us to pass. But this is still the like 20th-ranked rush defense in football. We should be able to line up and run the football against him. Derrick Henry's have, coming off of a stellar performance against Kansas City. I'm excited to see how he does going up against this Patriots defense.
1: Oh, yeah. Derrick Henry is uh, hes going to play a very important role in this game. And um, he's going to be a big factor in the outcome of it for sure. Uh, one of the biggest things we're going to have to do is play keep away. Like I said, we're going to have to – Take our shots deep and let the defense know that we're we're not afraid to take a shot deep and keep them honest. But uh, Derrick Henry is definitely going to play a big role on the outcome of this game. We're definitely going to have to play keep away keep away with them as best we can.
0: Absolutely. My next matchup, Logan Ryan going into this game. It's not only good for the matchup but also the storyline. Obviously, playing against his former team just one year later. Now. Uh, going up against his former team He's probably going to see a lot of cooks in this game He's probably going to see a lot uh, Of a, a few different matchups in this game But taking Tom Brady out of the game Is going to start with the pass rush That's obvious, I think everybody's seeing that But he's still a really, really, really good At getting the ball out fast We have seen the way that Tom Brady Can get the ball out in a second And, and do damage to a team so getting on these guys playing that press coverage and getting guys on the inside, which is where Logan Ryan does his best work on slants and stuff like that across the inside is going to be a big key factor to preventing this team from picking up easy first down. So I'm excited to see how he does in this football game.
1: Oh, and if you want to throw another one in there real quick, you could look at Mike Malarkey versus Bill Belichick. Mike Malarkey, former head coach of the Buffalo Bills, played Tom Brady and Bill Belichick twice a year for two years. In his press conference, he uh, talked about talking about the matchup. He talked about how he's talking to John Robinson, how he's talking to Josh Klein, how he's talking to Logan Ryan. He's trying to get all the intel that he possibly can. And while you look at it over the offseason, getting all these former Patriots, it's, it could really pay off in this matchup uh, coming down to a head-to-head matchup for do or, do or die against the Patriots.
0: I 100% agree here. So those are the matchups we're looking at let's move on to the keys of this game starting on offense what are some keys on offense that you're looking at
1: definitely 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 have to uh we definitely have to be able to run the football uh control time of possession uh don't do not turn the football over and give tom brady any extra chances
0: yeah i absolutely agree with that that's going to be imperative do not give him extra chances do not give him good field position we know what Tom Brady will do when he has bad field position, so let's not give him an easy route to the end zone. That's I a mean, great point there. One of the ones I'm definitely going to be looking for is I want to see Marcus Mariota calling all the plays. We saw him take over the play calling in that last game. It led to a big comeback and a win. I think Terry Robisky should just be a figurehead until the end of the season. He should just be a guy standing up there until the end of the season. I don't want to see him play, calling plays in this game. I'd like to see Marcus call from the huddle. We've had a lot of success when Marcus has been our play caller. You know, don't fix what's not broken. We need to come in here and uh, and take the uh, sorry, take uh, or have Marcus call all these plays and and give us the advantage there. Uh, another one I'm going to be looking forward to is using some of these other weapons that we have. I want us to see us use the Dory Jackson a few times in this game on the offensive side of the football. I want to see us use Corey Davis, Taewon Taylor, move the ball around and give looks to the Patriots they haven't seen yet because we know how good Bill Belichick and this team is at watching the tape, figuring out what you do, and then preventing it. That's why he has been such a successful coach at this level is he is an incredible at picking out what your team does and preventing it. So give him looks he has never seen before. And the best way to do that is give him players he hasn't gotten to see much of. So using guys like Taewon Taylor, using guys like Adoree Jackson on the offense, I think is a great way uh, to get some big chunk plays out of this uh, Patriots defense and move us down the field. So that's something I'm also going to be looking for.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. That is a great point and a really good idea. At the same time, too, Um At this point in the season or postseason, whatever you want to call it, teams know exactly what you're going to do. They know exactly what your tendencies are. They know where you're strong and where you're weak. So you definitely got to change it up and show them something different and uh, really just pull out all the stocks and put your cards on the table at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you got to, the playoffs are always the time to, to pull out some plays that nobody's ever seen before it's always a good time to try to get that guy you know get that one play you've been thinking about and use it and see if it'll work see if you can get something they haven't seen before because they're going to be watching tape constantly every guy is going to know the tendency of the guy lining up across from him so give them some looks they haven't seen before I think that'll be uh, an imperative in this game so moving on to the defensive side of the ball what are some keys to us winning this football game on the other side of the ball
1: well, the first and absolute most obvious one is you got to, Tom Brady has to constantly be harassed. If we're not constantly harassing him on at least 85, 90% of plays, he's going to sit back there and pick us apart all day long. Over the offseason, uh, when we first got Eric Walden, I remember seeing an interview with Brian O'Racco talking about how he had been campa- campaigning and pleading to Mike Malarkey to install some sort of scheme in the defense to have himself Derek Morgan, Kevin Dodd, and Eric Walden all on the field at the same time. And we have seen a little bit of that minus Kevin Dodd throughout the season, but um, I'm expecting to see a lot more of that in this game because um, basically what they say to do, basically what they usually tell you to do in the NFL is uh, take away the run game and make the quarterback beat you. In this one, we got to take away the quarterback and make the run game beat us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have to get after Tom Brady. That's going to be one of the biggest things in this game is getting after Tom Brady. It's pretty evident. You know, it's, it's you know it's it's very clear to anybody. But it has to be said. You got to take Tom Brady out of the game. You got to figure out how to slow him down.
1: Oh, absolutely. The next one I would say would have to be Gronk. Like like we said earlier, you're not going to uh, you're not going to stop him from getting his catches or getting his yards. Uh, you need to contain him after them catches. As soon as he catches the ball, he needs to be on the ground. We don't need to be let him. We don't need to let him be running around free and getting yards after his catches, and that will just kill us all day long.
0: Yeah, uh, another one that you have to you, obviously. It's another one that's obvious, but you got to say it has to be done. You have to get after Gronk. You have to make sure that he's not going to get those big plays against you. That he's not going to come up big on third downs. And he's not going to be big in the red zone.
1: And um, I guess my last one would be to um, get off the field. Um, <clears throat> they're going to take their shots deep, but they're also going to have them short passes. On third down, we have to get off the field. We we have to control the football. We need to hold this football 70-30. We need to have it – we need to be on offense 70% of the game. They need to be on offense 30% of the game if we want to come out with a win.
0: I agree, and that's something that I, I was going to bring up in the offensive side and forgot, to. is we need to control the clock. We need – long, successful drives. If you're going to beat a team like the Patriots, you need to limit how often that offense is going to be on the field. Long, successful drives is going to be a key. So I 100% agree. We need to be able to get off the field very quickly. Um, For me, a couple of of the other ones that I had uh, on the defensive side of the football. Um, One is forcing mistakes. We've seen Tom Brady throw five picks in his last five games. We need an interception in this game. We need a fumble in this game. Something to help us out, give us four... Uh, short field position, get the momentum, you know, get the football in the end zone on an easy, uh, short fielded situation is going to be something that's really going to help us get a win over such a tough team. Is winning the turnover margin, uh, forcing them into bad mistakes.
1: Lucky enough for us, we had the lead leaguer and inter lead league leader. I got tongue tied there. in interceptions in Kevin Byard. He actually put on Twitter. I just saw this morning that. His goal for this game is to make Tom Brady look like Blake Bortles.
0: <laughs> That's good. It's okay to get tongue tied there, uh, Cody. As long as you say the right name, it's not by yard like all the announcers say.
3: Yeah, <laughs> by
0: It's oh my goodness. It's every week we deal with that like by yard and and uh, the different names they say <laughs> wrong. And uh, Mariota is a big one. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I th- there's people still doing that. He's been been in the league for three years now. (laughs) Long, awkward silence.
0: (laughs) Oh, sorry about that. Another one I noticed was uh, Trawick. They kept saying Trawick instead of Trawick was one that they kept saying over and over again in that Kansas City game. Uh, You know, so... Definitely, you know, announcers for this game. My key to the game for the announcers is learn how to say these kids' names before you come out and call a football game. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be a big one, forcing them into mistakes. Another one is making the tackle at the point of contact. This is a team that loves the, you use the short pass to get big gains. You know, it's, it's always been a thing for them is finding holes in the defense in order to make a four-yard pass turn into a 19-yard gain. So when you get the chance and line up and tackle, you have to make the tackle. No broken tackles will be made against this Tennessee defense. That's got to be the goal. you got to line up and tackle. Something <coughs> we have struggled with a lot, but we've gotten a lot better at it. As of late, we have a lot of games where we have been very good at lining up, squaring up our shoulders, and getting the hit right at the point of contact and not letting small plays become chunk plays.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And, of course, uh, over the offseason, I think that was a main focus on helping to rebuild this defense was getting people who knew how to tackle. We pulled in Logan Ryan from the Patriots, who led the Patriots the previous year in tackles. And we also got Jonathan Cyprian. Uh, safety who plays in the secondary, who also led the Jaguars in tackles. So I feel like that was a key point in building this team. So we're going to see if it pays off Sunday or Saturday.
0: <laughs> another point for me, and I, and I agree with you there, we did get a lot of excellent tacklers and it hasn't made a big difference. Uh, but another point for me, is our red zone defense has to be spectacular. Uh, this is a team that gets in the red zone and they put it in the end zone. We need to force them to kick field goals. If we're getting them to kick field goals in this game and red zone attempts, then we're going to win this football game, or we're going to come damn close to winning this football game. When it, you get that short field, there's a lot more you can do on defense. You can get a lot more creative. We've seen it from Dick LeBeau time and again. You've got to force them into field goal situations force them to not be able to score touchdowns if we can do that it's going to be a big help so red zone efficiency for our defense is going to be a big part of this game
1: oh yeah i completely agree and you know LeBeau, he loves to blitz so uh we're expecting to see a lot of that as well
0: absolutely so that's what we have for our matchups and keys to the game so we're going to move on to our bold predictions so let's hear yours cody what are your bold predictions for this game
1: all right. So, throughout the course of the season, I think it was like three games straight from like the the Jacksonville game to to uh the Dolphins game. I predicted every week that Adoree Jackson is going to get his first NFL touchdown. And then I started to feel like, you know, he's not getting them, so I'm probably jinxing him. So, I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to say Corey Davis and Adoree Jackson gets their first NFL touchdown in this game.
0: There you go. Very bold. I like that one. That's a good one.
1: Uh, Next, uh, I guess I would say, uh, I haven't really thought past that far ahead of it yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. i got a few of them over here. Um, Here's mine. Ready? Marcus Mariota will get two rushing touchdowns in this game.
1: That's certainly possible.
0: I think he's going to do it. He's obviously a guy that has a nose for the pylon. I think that when we get in those red zone opportunities, we're going to look to try to get – Uh, in situations where we can get easy touchdowns like that. So I'm going to say Marcus gets two touchdowns on the ground. Derrick Henry will break the franchise record for most rushing yards in a football game this week. I think he gets over that 162. I'm going to say he gets to 170 in this game.
1: This is a good matchup for it as well. He came pretty close last week. What was it, 156?
0: Yeah, he's at 156, the record 162. So, you know, six yards away from doing it.
1: Yeah, so... And this is probably a better matchup for doing that as well, as long as we can keep the game close.
0: Absolutely. Statistically speaking, Kansas City's rush defense has been much better than the Patriots. So this is a week to do it, and I think he'll get it done in my bold prediction. My next one you're going to like is I have Kevin Byard uh, getting a pick six in this game is my next bold prediction.
1: Oh, that is a good one. I do like that one. He's, He's uh, not got there yet, and I've seen him talking about it several times. Uh, that's something that's really important to him, and that's something that uh, he really wants to do, something uh, really high on his uh, list of things to do.
0: Yeah, obviously a guy that's a good ball hawking, safety, and we're going up against Tom Brady, who's thrown, like we said earlier, five interceptions in five games. So I'm, I'm thinking that he's going to get one where he can really take it back to the house in this game. Uh, my last bold prediction, and this is probably my favorite, we saw last week Marcus Mariota throw a pass to himself for a touchdown. This week, we're going to see Marcus Mariota run the speed option, pitch it to himself, and get a good gain out of it. <laughs> That's my next Hey, one.
1: maybe you'll wind up on TV for that one.
0: <laughs> I hope I <laughs> that do. Guy if, who, it, uh, if it happens. Like the, yeah, the guy on Twitter yeah, that, that called the it, touchdown it, pass to himself.
1: He, he was on uh, TV for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was uh, awesome. I got
1: another one. I got one more for you. We're going to have... Five sacks from five different players. You got uh, Darrell Casey, and I also I started seeing when a rack gets a gets a sack, they started calling that that, that uh, the quarterback got a rack pole.
0: So uh, Brian Arakpo,
1: that. yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Darrell Casey, Brian Arakpo, Derek Morgan, Eric Walden, and um, I don't know who should I go. Avery Williamson or Wesley Woodyard, one of the two.
0: There you go. I'll take that. I like that one. That's what I always joke about. Uh, you know, talking about a rack is. We were talking about our favorite calls that uh, Mike Keith has ever made. Obviously, the Music City Miracle is a great one. Standing on the Arrowhead at Arrowhead's a great one. But I was like, each and every week, any time a Rackpo gets a sack and you just hear, Rackpo—that that is the my, one of my favorite Mike Keith calls is just hearing him say a Rakpo's name after a big sack.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love it when they yell or when Mike Keith does it. I, can, I ain't never heard anybody else do it. Touchdown, Titans.
0: But he's yeah. got, he
1: really rolls it really well.
0: You know, it, it's awesome, man. Mike Keith is, and, like, I know this is biased because I'm a you know a diehard Titans fan, but the best, uh, like, home announcer in the league. Uh, that guy's awesome.
1: Yeah, ESPN, Monday Night Football might be calling him with Gruden leaving and all that.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be sad to see him go, but it'd be awesome to see him every Monday night. But that's about all that we have for this week. I'm not going to give my official prediction. I decided not to this week. Cody, I'll let you, if you want to, give your official game prediction what do you think the final score is going to be.
1: Ooh, I don't know if I want to do that either, but I guess I will. I'll say, of course, I'm going to have the Titans winning, so I'm going to say the Titans are going to win
0: it 28-27. Another one-point victory. That would be awesome. It would be another good game. Uh, But that's all we have for this week. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for Amos Conway, our Pats Insider, for coming on. And big thanks to Cody Millholland, who was here for the whole thing. Uh, like I said, you can find his writing on theaosn.com as part of the All Out Sports Network. You can find Titan Town on Facebook, at Titan Town. And you can find Cody at Uncle Bubba 44 on Twitter. Great, fantastic writer. I love having you on the show, Cody. Thanks for joining me.
1: Hey, man, I appreciate it. We had a lot of fun this time around. Had a lot of fun last time, too, but this one was pretty special.
0: Absolutely, man. Looking forward to having on you, having you back on the show very soon. Every, every week, I tell you guys, go give us a good review. You know, on uh, you know, however you listen to the show, you can find us everywhere on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, anywhere you can find podcasts. You can find Two Tone Uncensored. Um, and if you can't, let me know, and I'll fix that. You can find the show at TTU Podcast. Dot com. You can find us at TTU uh, Podcast on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, you can find myself at the Ryan Moreland on Twitter. Tennessee, it's a big matchup this week. It's the hardest game we're going to play all season. But just like I told everybody on Twitter at halftime, it looks bleak, but it's not over. This team can do it. They have the ability to do it. So Titans need to go out there, take care of business kick some Patriots ass and keep this road to the Super Bowl alive tighten up